Hello and welcome back to another episode of Deep Fried Thoughts Podcast, where we talk about all things currently frying on my mind. Also, the number one podcast in Delco. That's Delaware County for anybody that's not from here. Uh, also, I made that up. Uh, today's guest is Brian Walker. He is actually my brother-in-law. Um, couldn't have asked for a better guy to have married my little sister. I actually knew Brian uh, growing up um, for little stints throughout my my childhood or teenage years. Uh, we always got along pretty well. Uh, but anyway, uh, he's just grown up into uh, somebody that I I could honestly say I, I absolutely admire and love to hear his insight on on all different things. So this was this was quite an interesting podcast. Uh, definitely challenged me a lot, uh, not just during the recording, but also in the the days to follow and uh, during editing too. So a lot a lot of times we were just hurting my brain thinking about some of the stuff we got into, but it's all good. You know, it's all about uh, self-reflection and, and bettering yourself. So nothing really wrong with that. Uh, if, if that's what you're looking for. So anyway, uh, I hope you guys all get the same amount of enjoyment out of this that, that I did and, and, uh, can get through the challenging portions of it. Um, Brian doesn't really use social media, but he does have an Instagram account. If you wanted to try and reach out to him, He's not very active on it, uh, but it's B-Walk, B-W-A-L-K underscore Supreme. So B-Walk Supreme. So if you wanted to reach out to him, that is how you could do so. Uh, I do have a question. Uh, I've had several of you reaching out about merch. Uh, Not sure how many people would actually be interested in purchasing something like that um, or what you're really looking for. My thoughts were maybe like a a black t-shirt, a white t-shirt, and maybe a hoodie. Uh, possibly a hat or stickers, things like that. Uh, I am trying to work out something with Amazon merch at the moment uh, to try and get a store up there. Uh, that would be that'd be really cool and a lot of fun. Uh, but I would love to hear some feedback if anybody would be interested. I don't have any idea on pricing or what that would be. I'm not really looking to make money off of it, more just to have uh, some merch out there for those of you that are asking. Uh, and just, you know, have that option available. So anyway, uh, give me some more feedback. Uh, let me know. Uh, you guys can reach out to me uh, on Instagram at deepfriedthoughts.podcast. Uh, that's the account on there. Uh, feel free to, to DM me or, or leave a comment uh, on this episode. Let me know. And yeah. Uh, also, uh, wherever you're listening, if you're enjoying, please feel free to go over there and rate us at five stars. If you feel like we deserve it, it makes a big difference. It helps us uh, get the, the word out there about the podcast, helps us rank a little higher uh, when people are searching. Uh, yeah, that's that's the best way to grow and you know, uh, up the value uh, here, which is uh, you know really all I'm interested in as far as growing. is just getting better value, having maybe a better place to be able to, to record these or some you know different equipment for the sound. Uh, just to make a better experience for everybody out there listening. So anyway, without further ado, uh, here we go. Deep Fried Thoughts, mm, it's the best podcast. Deep Fried Thoughts, don't worry, we're working on a better intro. So dude, welcome to uh, the podcast now that we finally got it, got it figured out. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So Brian didn't tell me he's a tech wizard. Mm-hmm. Uh, something's been going on with the uh, garage band is what we used to record. Uh, I'm looking into alternatives, but every once in a while I'll go to record. I was just explaining this to Brian and that it just won't record. Everything's set up right. And Brian was like, oh, hold on, listen, he, here's what you got to do. I came up with this genius thing. He said, restart the computer. <laughs> and I fought it. And I tried like two or three more times. Didn't work. Restarted it. It worked right away. Yes. So thank you. So 
Have you read any good books lately? Are you a reader? I read a lot of books all yeah. the time. Anything good lately? Christian in Complete Armor by, um, I don't forget what his name is. Uh, I forget the, I have to look it up. Christian in Complete Armor. I was listening to a, a video on YouTube with Leonard. It was an interview with Leonard Ravenhill. And they asked him what are some books that he would recommend reading. And Christian in Complete Armor was one of them. And they said, he said that it was, uh, it's one of Spurgeon's favorite books and a couple other like individuals that you would think of as like, like high up there. Mm-hmm. It was their, it was the best book in their library. Oh, so this guy, is, this is an old book. It was written like 1800 something. When was Spurgeon around? And he, he was, uh, he was about the end of the 1800s. No, I'm sorry. This book was written in the 1600s. It was a Puritan okay. book. I've been reading a lot of Puritan books. They're, yeah. Dude, Spurgeon, I was so confused when I found out how old he was. Like, he started preaching at, like, 14, was it, or 16? Mm-hmm. I can't remember when he had his own ministry, but I heard that I heard that, that was, like, a lot. He there started a lot young. of people that didn't want to listen because of how young he was. His father his him. father was a pastor. As a kid, he, he spent a lot of time reading his father's library in the, in the attic, and one of those books, if you read Christian in Complete Armor, you hear Spurgeon, and you see where he got a lot of stuff from. It's it's a it, the whole book is about Ephesians uh, six where um, the armor of God and it's it's like twelve hundred pages and I'm not even through the first like section of it but it's there's a lot of quotes in there like sheep may fall in a pit but pigs wallow in it things like that okay yeah I like that one liners that you just take with you everywhere I'm trying to picture twelve hundred pages of that I wonder how many pages are in the art of the deal that masterpiece you know what I'm uh, talking about yeah, no. Donald Trump yeah I know, I know okay okay okay. They're like the mastering businessman. Um, I'm I'm kidding, by the way. I just I just know that it was a big book, and I was thinking, how does that man have that much to say? That's well, I guess that no, never mind. He's got plenty to say. I want to write a book. Ah, uh, dude, I've wanted to write a book for years. I have many started and incomplete books, mm-hmm. which are really just chapters. And I'm wondering, eventually, do I just kind of weave these together? Because I don't. No, sometimes I just get to my point quickly, and I'm like, I don't really want to develop it anymore. I just developed it for what would take about you know a half hour to read, hmm. and come to my conclusion. And I'm like, would that be a chapter? Because that was what I thought the whole yeah. book was going to be. And I just sometimes I just don't want to fill it with like baloney, meta thoughts. You want the bigger thoughts, and then the little ones build it. Yeah. So I was like, maybe I just want to make those little tiny bathroom like potty books. I want to make potty books. You can start small. Yeah, that's fine. Start. Oh wow. Ouch. <laughs> You know, for a while I was, it was weird. I, I, I write a lot. Or I used to write a lot. I don't write as much anymore. Um, I used to write a lot because I was sad a lot. And I found that like writing when you're sad was much easier um, to at least get started. And you just start out with dribbling and then it just starts to form into something. And then you, you, you just get obsessive. Hmm. Um, so a lot of my writings that I've, that I've kept, I go back to and I'm like, well, I didn't know I could write like this. Yeah. Um, but it's like, geez, do I have to like, go through something terrible to do this. Like, I've been trying to find out over the years, like better ways to write, not depressed. Cause that's not the kind of reading or that I would want to be known for the writing. I would want to be known for like the subject matter. I would want to be more for like something positive if I was to write something or something that benefits the person reading, not just like brings them down mm. to kind of thing. I don't yeah, know. Not your depressing thoughts. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I like writing. Do you write a lot? No, but I, the reason I want to write a book and it's, it's going to be, Christian dating question mark, mm-hmm. um, and I I do the young adults group at church and I'm involved with the youth a lot and I always encounter this and I've seen it go really bad and I've seen it go really well and I always have my spiel that I give them and 
I just want to have this little booklet and like, here, read this and, and just like make the easy part. Like you just, you read this and then if you got problems, okay, that's fine. But I, I gave you everything I would tell you in wisdom that I've experienced. I'm just going to write it down. And so it would be our, my, my wife and myself, your sister and, you know, uh, and myself, our testimony. And then I think of, I thought of chapters like, um, uh, one of them would be, um, uh, Corinthians seven, um, which is all about like marriage. Uh, another one would be, um, is there dating in the Bible? And another one would be, um, did you kiss her? Are you still kissing her? Like just <laughs> little things, like little things that I've, are, are, one would be, you don't want to be a boy anything. I don't like the term boyfriend because as it relates to a, the female species, you don't want to be a boy. You want to be a man. And I always tell the youth, you go boy, man, husband, father, in that order boy man husband father and so i, I like and, that. yeah and and so i you know i get the i get the terminology but it, 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 you you a, a boy becomes a godly man girl godly woman god gives godly woman to godly man you have godly marriage and you have godly offspring and that's as for believers so so there's a, i i encounter these and i give them the spiel but it's like i'd rather just give them this little booklet mm. i've been going through it's, it's when you're talking about marriage um I've been going through a book. I have a buddy who's going through a hard time, and we're going through a book, The Meaning of Marriage by mm. Tim Keller. I saw that upstairs. Yeah. Um, so I thought it'd be cool if we went through it together because I could certainly benefit from it. Jenny and I have been through our fair share of crap that I really have never worked on. Because when I was talking with him, I was thinking like, I know I've been through a lot of this stuff. But I don't really have any answers because I, I was like, do, did I even do anything? I started thinking back, like, how did things get better? I just <laughs> no, that never as resolved get, back yeah, there. As yeah, as they get better, it's like I stopped thinking, but then I started finding things. I'm like, wait a minute, no, we just ignored this until it went away, and I'm like, maybe we should face this and that and that. And I've been thinking a lot, so started started reading that um, together with him, and that's been cool. Um, have you ever, ever read that before? What's the meaning of marriage? What is it? Yeah, what is it? Oh yeah, no, have you, I haven't gotten that far yet. <laughs> we just, I just started. They always leave that for the end of the book. Yeah, I, don't, I can read the last page and tell you. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's interesting. I like his writing style. It keeps me keeps me focused. But um, yeah, I've been actually ever since I had Mike on the podcast, Gaggle. I don't know if you heard that one or anyway or no Mike, but um, he reads a lot. Mm-hmm. His dad reads a lot. He's the uh, his father's the pastor of Calvary Delco, so. They both read a lot, and the way they talk, like I could, you could tell when somebody reads a lot, just the amount of information they hold, or they're usually even sometimes quieter uh, until you, you know, bring something up, and it's like you give them a chance to really talk about something. And anyway, uh, I always admire that in people. Mm. Uh, so I'd always wanted to have just more content in my speech mm-hmm. rather than just, like I said, that filler. So anyway, I've been trying to read more since since he's been on, and I've gotten through a few books, but um, not as much as I'd like to. But uh, you know. There's so many things, dude. Sometimes when I come, like we were talking earlier about, you know, working. Like we're both. How old are you now? Thirty. Okay, so we're both in our thirties. It's like we both do physical work. You know, we labor. It's not like beating ourselves up and like we're not gophers, but we do physical labor. Mm. And when we get home, it's like I don't know about you, but sometimes I, you know, I work all day and I come home. All I want to do is sit. But I sit down, and it's like from the moment I walk in the door, you know, the kids all want to see me, and I, I don't want to miss that time with them. I mm. miss them all day. And it's like messes and projects and all this stuff. And it's just like, it never ends. Like, that's what's made me a night owl. Hmm. I lack in sleep every day because when everybody goes to sleep, that's my quiet time. I don't have it anywhere else. Hmm. Whether I choose to sit or even just sometimes nap on the couch or something or just enjoy a cup of tea or play video games, watch a movie. 
That's like my only time. You have time like that, or you just kind of go with it until you just crash. I take it when I can, but I um like as far as reading books, mm-hmm. I I've learned recently, and this is something I didn't know for a long oh, yeah, time. I forgot that's why I brought that up. Yeah, right. <laughs> so and and finding time to do that, I I currently I'm reading too many books because we're in a counseling uh like kind of course session at church, and so re- I'm reading um. Suffering in the Heart of God by Diane Lamberg. Um, reading um, The Body Keeps the Score, which is a really uh, mess with your mind kind of book. Like, and uh, Why You Do the Things You Do um, in Our Lives First. Sounds like an Christian in Complete Armor, um, just as like my leisure reading. And then I have like other ones I pick up here and there. But I, I learned, and there was a book called um, Spiritual Leadership. And one of the spiritual leadership things yeah, was to read to be a man, someone who reads and that's I find very important in your Christian walk is to be discipled by individuals. So I read I, I and I also read some secular books like um Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life, 12 More Rules for Life. Those are really good. I like yeah. psychology kind of stuff, but I find time where I can. I also study a lot because I teach a couple Bible studies in a week. So every day for at least an hour or two um I have, I ha- not have to, but to do the study and have it for Friday night when we, when I have the, the young adult slash like young and spirit adult yeah. fellowship, I have to be ready for that. So, but that, that keeps me, I've been learning recently that, um, you have to, you have to practice and grow in knowledge. And so like there was this, um, thing I, uh, is a proverb, I think it's eighteen five. it talks about the prudent man seeks out knowledge. And, and that's in, in, in the word, but also in, in reading books. And it's been, it's made a difference. And, and, but it, like, I'll come home from work and sometimes to my detriment, I'll just disappear, which is probably the most important time for me to be present, but I'll take time and I'll just steal it, which kind of leaves Nicole hanging a little bit every once in a while, because at night it's our, it's our personal time. Mm-hmm. So I, I'll, I'll study after work. Usually I'll read in the morning, but I'll study after work. And then we we hang out and watch uh, The Mentalist at night. Currently, what is that? It's uh, it's on HBO Max. It's like one of those Sherlock Holmes. Style. Like a, okay, I didn't know if it was a scripted show or like one yeah. of those like it's, a mentalist going out and tricking people in the street. Well, it, it's it's kind of like yeah, but okay. it's it's like a Sherlock Holmes kind of knockoff, <laughs> right. which I enjoy those kind of things. All right. Yeah, dude. So anyway, the reason I remember now uh, why I brought that up about my time at night is often when I read. Like, I realize how tired I am if I'm not overstimulating myself. Like, if I'm not playing video games, actively having a conversation or watching something or in front of a screen, my body just... I, I crash. I could fall asleep at 8 o'clock every night and be satisfied. But I'm fighting so hard to have those extra, like, four or five hours at night. Hmm. Usually about four hours when everybody's asleep. Which feels like I'm not really doing much, but it's like it helps me mentally feel like I'm getting some time to myself. What time do you go to bed? One. What time do you wake up? Uh, like seven o'clock ish. Why? Because I only need six How do you hours. Do that? I don't know. I need eight. Yeah, I, I absolutely well, have to have eight. If I don't have eight, my life. So Jenny will tell you differently. I crash every couple weeks, like to where like I I will take a day and I I can't. I just have to sleep till like noon. You miss sleep. You don't. You your body doesn't forget that. I know. I listened to a couple Rogan episodes with some specialists about sleep, and it freaked me out a bit. Yeah, but I'm not as bad as. 
some people. I so that's sleep. what makes me feel better. You know, that's always a good answer. You know, I'm not as bad as that person. Okay. So yeah, <laughs> I covet it. I I'll I could sleep till noon every day if I wanted to. Do when I it's just like this finalization of my day. I don't want things to end. I I don't know. I feel like I'm gonna miss something. I don't. Know. I've ha- been like this since I was a kid. It's a psychology problem. It's one of the books I've been reading. reading. I can help you with that. I'll oh give yeah, you the, I'll give you the book. I can't help you, but I'll give you the book. I've had a problem with that since <laughs> I was like very young. Where yeah. I, I just the the falling asleep part is a very uncomfortable thing for me. Mm-hmm. I love sleeping. It's not. It's the quiet. It's not the falling asleep. It's the stillness. Oh, I can't. I don't do stillness. I fall do asleep you, with headphones. In do you my ever ears get alone and just sit night. quietly? No, it makes me uncomfortable. There's that's a psychology thing. I'm telling no, you, no, I mean, it really is. I don't want to mess you up, mess up your brain, but. You should you should look at it. So like I fall asleep with headphones mm-hmm. and I listen to a podcast. I don't even care what it is. I'll put I don't even care if it's background music on YouTube, like a ten hour video, and I just need it to fall asleep or I want it. You know. So yeah, I'll tell you what it is. I just I just read and yeah, um, of course. Uh, yeah. Why you do the things you do? I can't help oh, it. Yeah. Okay. These books you read books and then you understand things. It's something great, right? It's like a really awesome. Well, tribute. so so it's talking <laughs> about uh, the one thing was about relationships. We're designed to to need them, and different relationship styles form as a response to the type of childhood that you had. And nobody has nobody nobody's a secure relationship style. Everybody's got some problems, um, but um, when racial relationships fall apart, for a lot of people, it's 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 a it's a it's a it's a negative thing. So so the the whole chapter in the book was um, it's better to have your relationship with God um, to to when you feel you're in like your vulnerability, then people usually run to God to fill that void maybe the death of a loved one or a traumatic experience. And then as a believer, you'll see God and, and you'll find comfort in him, but it's better to start practicing that before those situations hit in life. And just the little areas like you're having a difficulty at work and then seeking uh, security in that. And it talks about um, the kingdom of God. So we, Jesus says the kingdom of God is with you or among you. And it's, it's right. It's, it's accessible. Um, so there's spiritual disciplines that help you access the kingdom of God or relationship with, with the Lord. And you know, you know the normal ones: Bible, prayer, fellowship, fasting. One of them was um, was um, it was silence, but it was also um, like alone time. And it tells you, like, if you have a history of trauma or experiences like that, be careful doing that because it will bring up um, things, emotions, and stuff like. So people surround themselves with with stuff and noises and things like that because that quiet place of reflection. Um, you experience those problems, but that teaches you to rely on God. To, and I'm butchering it, but so is, one of them is like just to get quiet, and you would be surprised how much noise drowns out drowns out the voice of God. And I find myself doing it all the time. I don't like to have a moment of of quiet, and that was that was one of them. Interesting. I'm thinking now, not to promote drugs, but I'm thinking about the last time I was forced to be in silence. Yeah, was I did edibles. And then I made an age-old mistake where you take them, and you're like, these aren't working, and you take them again, and yeah. then it hits you. And then you're like, I'm, I messed up. Yeah. Um, but I wasn't expecting what happened to happen, which is I couldn't speak. It was, so, it was such an intense experience that I was forced to sit in silence for hours and just talk and listen to myself. And, dude, I went through, like, a therapy session that started in, like, grade school playground like girls i pushed or like said a mean thing or like <laughs> somebody i didn't help crossing you know there was across the street who looked distraught and i'm like i don't know why i'm remembering that right now like maybe i should have went up and asked that person if they're okay mm. I'm like feeling immense guilt then i'm like i realize now like i always was carrying that all these little things that i just pushed down 
and actually listening to what's going on inside. I'm like, now that the sound is gone, I'm like, man, I got to face all of this. It was like a massive um, therapy session because when I, I felt like such a relief afterwards. But it made me question, like, because I don't want to do that every time, and I can't. That's not, like, my thing. But um, I know that there's ways to get that now without that, mm-hmm. without, like, help of a drug. So I've been curious about... It has to be something intentional. For me to sit down and do it, like, and I can just get up and walk away, like, I'm probably not going to do it. Um, but if I was to, like, make a, make something out of it, like, to go to a float tank, find a place, mm-hmm. pay for a couple sessions in advance, because I hate wasting money. So... Like to make myself go and sit in that float tank for an hour and, and be in silence and reflect think and reflect. And I've really wanted to do that lately. Um, well, actually, I'd say lately, the past couple of years mm-hmm. since that, since that experience, um, just to kind of go through there and see what I left behind. Like what else is there? Mm. Because it was a huge, huge um, help in like getting rid of that. Like the weight that was lifted, I'm like, I want more of that weight lifted because I didn't know it was there. The more reliant you become on the Lord. The, the more independent you are in other areas and relationship-wise. And that's, like, so drugs produce a, um, I've heard A.E. Wilder Smith say, a pseudo-religious experience. And that's why people seek them out, because they do provide an element of what we need uh, emotionally and, and psychologically. And that's why a lot of people like to try to mix them with God. But what they're missing is that it's a pseudo-religious experience. He says it's like religion and a pill without dealing with sin. And... So you're 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 getting that experience, but you're getting it outside of God, which which makes it a false uh, thing, which won't produce the true. It's unbalanced. It's unbalanced, but but all of those God provides. But the the way it's, it's really interesting. Yeah, and then that's, a, that that's why it's called pharmakia. It's 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 used. It's a pseudo religious experience, and and drugs take the place of reliance on God. They they and that's why people get addicted. It's relationship styles that that produce that kind of desire, and you still need it. We all need it. We get it somewhere, and. Drug, drugs will give that comfort, but it'll they, they also take way more than they give in the end, unfortunately. Yeah. That's really interesting. I've never thought about it like that, about the unbalanced aspect of that. I think there's a lot of truth to that. It's legitimate. I mean, why, why do people get high? Like uh, Jordan Peterson said, uh, said once in a quote, uh, he said, it's, it's not hard for me to understand why people get high. It's hard for me to understand why everybody doesn't because mm. life, yeah. life sucks. Yeah. And so, you know, how are you going to deal with it? And people deal with it different ways. They deal with it at work. They deal with it with hobbies. They deal with it and all these different things. And those things aren't bad, but um, w- when when they fail, then what? You're left alone with you and God. And then, and then you got to deal with with you and God. And he usually will, will, will start to uh, produce, pull things out of you, which hurts. You know, when God searches you, uh, that light doesn't go unnoticed in your life. So when he starts searching you, when you ask him to search you, he reveals things to you. Mm-hmm. And and a lot of people would rather keep them down. Um, but if you keep them down cognitively, uh, they'll come out in other places that you don't even realize. There's the other book I'm reading, The Body Keeps the Score. Your cells remember trauma. Your cells, your body actually physically remembers things that you've been through. And if you shut them out with your brain, it'll produce an autoimmune disease. It'll produce itself in... It, all these different areas, panic attacks, anxiety. Autoimmune disease? Is this like a proven science? Mm, yeah. Yeah, so so it's kind of funny because when you uh, feel a panic attack, you yeah. go into fight or flight mode, right? It's like putting your your foot on the gas and the brake at the same time. Yeah. What you are you? What? Do you know what you are, fight or flight, or is it different? Uh, I, I have uh, separation anxiety, and it was from childhood with me and my mom. 
and it turns in people that have separation anxiety as children, it turns into fear of death anxiety later on in life, which is I have, which is I know it's totally um, retarded because I know truth, but it's an anxiety that I can't I can't fight. It's just, I mean I can't like I, it's something I have to deal with on a regular basis. But I'm starting to learn where it comes from, so I can. I can deal with it better. My dog has separation anxiety. I wonder if he's afraid of dying. <laughs> Dude, my, I my, rub his belly and it makes him feel better. If you want me to rub your belly are, after I don't this, think dogs are so self-aware as we are. I want to say, if you want me to rub your belly, he loves it and it calms him down. Uh, I'll totally do that for you. Yeah. No, but that it, it's, it's interesting. I've always been curious about that stuff because of the traumas I've been through. Like, I want to know, because I'm, I'm an adamant believer in the fact that like you never reach your true potential. And you, I think you die. I think we all die before we do. Yeah. So I think you can either be content in where you're at and just say, I don't want to, cause I think that's it. When people are saying like they've completed something, it's really, you've just become content with your problems. I don't ever want to become content with any shortcomings. So I always want to be fighting them. And it's like, it's like, um, it's like a tunnel that's, you know, surrounded by water and it's going to constantly be springing leaks. And I can either decide that I want to live in water and just be content with it, or I can keep rushing around trying to plug them, and I'd rather rush around trying to plug them. I'd yeah. rather keep that fight and keep trying to better what's going on than ignore the problem and yeah. just make myself comfortable in it. So I think we should always be challenging ourselves, always be questioning what we say we believe, to make sure we still believe and to actually know why we do, mm-hmm. um, but also just to better ourselves. So I have been curious about, like I said, like what um, about me now is... Because of something I didn't face, and what is just because or something I'm you didn't even know that you went through? Yeah, yeah, of course. Your cells, like I was, I was saying, I forgot what I was saying, but your your cells remember. So your mind can go in fight or flight mode, but your cells do also. So you might experience a situation. Your brain, the part of your brain that has memory, doesn't remember it, but the other part of your brain that it, it, it controls certain functions remembers it. So. Your cells, autoimmune disease in that in that aspect is your cells are in fight or flight response and they start attacking themselves. And not all autoimmune diseases come from childhood trauma, but like they do it. They did a study with like uh, women who have been molested as, as children, and a large number of them developed autoimmune disease, and that was their body re- reacting to these things. In their mind, they don't even remember it because parts of your brain that hold memory and stuff like that shut down during traumatic experiences. Uh, parts of your brain that deal with language shut down. That's why people can't find words for the things that they've gone through because when they went through it, that part of their brain wasn't working. It was, they call it disassociation. But I'm just throwing things out there no, that I've been no, learning and I'm not an expert. No, that's to, that's the thing. I remember um, when I was a kid, I couldn't physically put into words what was happening to me. And I remember the exact moment when it came out. And I was just shocked. It was like I was telling myself yeah. what happened. But I knew. I could visually see it. But hearing the words out loud. I was with a counselor, um, this guy Barry, when I was younger. And he knew a lot of what I had gone through just by things about me as a kid uh, that I didn't know. Um, or didn't really understand at that time. So I didn't realize he was a specialist in young men who were abused. Mm. Um, or how in the world he decided to you know, help me out. And he never alluded to any of that. I mean, he just helped me as far as being, you know, a better person and a man and in a Christian sense, like trying to be a better man of God, Mm -hmm. a young man of God. And he always treated me like an adult and just spoke to me like just straight. And I loved it. I remember one day he's like listing off and we're just talking. I'm just so comfortable with this guy at this point. And he's just listing down on a chalkboard. We're going through something with boundaries. He was big on boundaries. Um, 
And he's like asking me about these different things that like are problems in my life. And I remember I'm like, all right, this, he writes it down, this, he writes it down. And I'm like, uh, sexual abuse. And he writes it down and I froze, dude. I was like, I just standing there like, I, I, I like that, like no fighter, words fighter, are coming out. Response, yep, and I, fr- I froze, I freaked out. And he's like, are you all right? And I was like, I, I, I don't, I don't know why I said that. And I was like, um, I was like, I never said that. I've never said that. I just kept repeating, I've never said that. He's like, it's okay. So he just sat there quietly with me and like, let me breathe and like figure it out. And I was like, I, I, I was like, yeah. Like, and I started telling him everything mm-hmm. and it was like something just clicked and I was able to put in, like, I couldn't physically say what I knew had happened mm-hmm. and like carried with me because every time it popped in my mind, I would immediately jump to something else. That even happens now. Like some things that I did, like when I was really messed up on drugs or like just those ugly, gross things that like, you know, we always say like, all right, I think most of us or a lot of us, maybe more so men have those things where it's like, you're having that conversation with somebody about, I don't know, or somebody sinful and, and you're talking about like, oh, I've done things, man. You don't understand. Like God can't forgive, excuse me, God can't forgive me. And you're like, listen, we've all done it. And, and then that person's response which I feel like we've all had at one point, like, no, man, you don't understand. Like, I've really done things. Mm. Whatever you think that could be, we all have that. Mm. And then we all have the other things that we will never surface, right? We all have, and I have those. Mm -hmm. And sometimes those truly ugly, horrifying moments in our lives, like things that we've done, pop into my head. And like, sometimes I'm just be driving in my truck and I'll just remember, and I truly forgot. Mm. Like, how do you forget? Like, it'll be so horrifying that I'm like, how can I forget that? But I forget that these things happen. Mm. And then it'll be days that I have to keep pushing it down because I refuse, I refuse to face it. Mm. Not just for dealing with it with other people and admitting things I've done just to actually face it myself. Like, I don't want to see that person. I, I'm embarrassed of myself. Um, so there's a lot of that. I don't know exactly where I was going with that. Oh, so I guess words, those things. The, yeah, so words. anyway, yeah, the words. It's like I have these things, that, like one thing specifically that's been popping in my mind lately I've been trying to shove down. It's like I don't even have the words to fully explain it at the moment. I think I would have a similar experience when I was a kid. But mm. anyway, but yeah, that was, the, that was the first time I think I've ever experienced that where something, I don't know what it was. I believe it was God and just the, the comfort that he had given me, um, Barry and God, at that point where it just it came out and I was able to finally just breathe. It was like exhaling mm-hmm. after holding my breath for years. So that was that was pretty amazing. Um, I was really lucky to have that guy in my life. Relationships are important, and they're a big part in, in working. And there's also a spiritual element, like you're talking about, those things that sometimes those thoughts that pop in our minds like that are darts from the enemy, but then God will use them in that situation. And one of the things that counseling provides you is the words. Just to put words to it, it helps you work through it. Because when you think and you talk about things, Jordan Peterson talks about that you're organizing them as you're talking. He says if, you're, if your past memories still bother you, it's one of the chapters in, in his uh, 12 <laughs> More Rules for Life, and the Chaos, write them down. And, and actually write down, writing it down helps you organize, because... As soon yeah. as you said that, my mind just said, F that. I'm just not, no, I'm like, that's terrifying to me. It's <laughs> scary. Well, so, so but he, he has a whole chapter in there with a guy that was in a relationship, and he, he would just have like these outbursts that he couldn't control, and he would like... Um, he, he would like reenact trauma physically that he had been through and he couldn't control himself. And he actually hypnotizes the guy and gets him to like bring out what it was because he didn't remember, but he was acting it out. Because like I said, your body will act out the things that you don't oh, physically wild. remember. And so, but the, one of the cool things is it's not like some of the things you deal with, they're not your fault. They're, 
They're not, and it's nothing you can control either. You could have controlled. It's just something that has you've experienced. But it's good to be aware of them so you could deal with them. I mean, like you said, we're all broken, and God works things out at at a, one at a time. Because if He's shown you who you are, like who you think you are, is like an iceberg. That's another book, Biblical Psychology by Oswald Chambers. Um, the the cognitive part of the the aware part of you is the tip of it. You are the most complicated being creature in the universe that God has created, you know, besides angels and things like that. But the, like, y- y- there's so much to you that is subsurface, so much more than is up here. And if you go down there, um, it, it, it'll produce anxiety because that, that those depths go deep and only God knows them. When you ask him to search, like you, we dare not go there without his light. And you'll go insane if you do. And when he starts, if he illuminated all of it at one time, you would melt your mind. So you, you, we're way more complicated than we think. I like that analogy. And, and we, we need him to search us. And that's what he does because there's, there's depths in that. But why does he do it? Because he wants to use us and he'll pull things out so that he can push us into next, the next area that he wants us to go. These are things that like you don't think about. But like if you were to ask me my fears, I would start thinking like, and I have a hard time, but I'm horrified at everything we're talking about here today. These are like the scariest things on earth to me. Uh-huh. It's really all internal. It's crazy. The scariest, the thing I'm most afraid of is myself. And I'm just realizing that now as we're talking. Mm. Um, I was visually seeing, like as you were explaining that, just going underneath and the lights exposing things and just wanting to like break the light and just go back up. It's like swimming in a dark pool. I, you know, No matter how, how old you are, if you go in, a, for me, if I go in a, in, a, in a pool at night without a light, you feel like a shark's going to come and get you. Like, you remember that as a kid, like, swimming and thinking, like, there's no possible way there could be a shark in, or an alligator in this pool no, right now. I think now. you're alone in this one. No, like, I remember this anxiety as a kid, like, swimming in dark water. Yeah. It, it freaks you out. In like, lakes, yeah. I'd yeah be okay, terrified. lakes. Why are we afraid of? Dark? But I like. Why are we afraid of that kind of that. stuff? It, it, it's it's there's there's like a there's like a thing in there, and uh, so we're afraid of like the unknown and the darkness. That's a lot. What? And some people actually want to stay in it. You know, that's one one thing we fear. I think more than the unknown is uh, it, it, God illuminating uh, certain areas. That's why, like he talks about, this is condemnation that light has come to the world, and men love darkness rather than light. Mm. Um, so so some people are comfortable in their darkness, but. Only in a certain level of it. If you go too deep, you'll you'll mess anybody up. And we we we, we want we want to walk around and pretend like everything's all, fine. Yeah, it's not though. It's funny it's as okay you're saying that, that too. I'm just picturing um, a scene in the ocean with just it's just as far as the eye can see is these icebergs, and mm. we're all just looking at each other in the top, <laughs> and we're all just like hunky dory, like this is wonderful, like we all are perfect. Um, not perfect, but. That's kind of like how we all live. Like yeah. all of us are living with these weights below us that we don't want to face, most of us. And I just wonder like what life would look like if more of us looked internally, whether it be through God or just in general, to try and not or to not be so afraid of who we are. But it's interesting because a lot of, you know, going back to drugs, a lot of us, uh, I would say most of us, that's a hard thing to do on your own. You have to be disciplined and you have to be determined to stick with it, right? Mm-hmm. Um especially if you're doing it between you and God or just you meditating if if you're not a believer. But I think that's another thing. Like people, like when I've done drugs like that, like I've done ayahuasca and DMT and it's like, it brings you to such another place um, or anything like that, like where you can't, anything that's so strong or that you have to like look internally or see things that are deeper and beyond you. It's like, you don't have the choice to go back. And it's very easy to pop a pill or to smoke something really quick, you know, take a hit and then boom, I, there's no turning back. I'm going through this <laughs> because 
I can easily turn around and bail if yeah. I don't have that. So it's like you're being forced into it. I think that's another reason why people like going back. That's why they call it a trip. Yeah. You ain't coming off of it until it's done. Yeah, anyway, just think about that, like being forced. I wish there was a way to be forced <laughs> sometimes by God, but that's the whole thing. It is free will. You know, you know, but he, he'll, he'll, he'll remove all comfort. And so in a way, him backing up will force you. And it and, and force you in, in the sense that... Um, but I have a way out. Yeah, at yeah, any point, you have a choice. Yeah, yeah, you have a choice, but it, it, the alternative it sucks way worse. Yeah, you know. Well, that's kind of what I'm feeling. These are issues that I didn't realize I have, and I'm realizing now, like as we're talking, I'm kind of walking through life with a lot more problems than I thought. Yeah. Because again, it's the whole thing of like being busy too. It's like I wake up and I'm rushing out the door because I wanted that little extra sleep because I lie to myself and tell myself six hours is fine. But if we're being honest, no, yeah, it's not. So I'm exhausted every morning. I rush out to work to make it there, like, just on time or, like, a minute late. Um, I'm happy. I love my job. So, like, time flies by. I'm listening to podcasts or music, you know, anything but silence, as we had talked about. <laughs> and then I, you know, I come home. Sometimes I sneak and get something I shouldn't be doing, like a double cheeseburger from McDonald's, which is my favorite. Mm-hmm. And coming home and then starting starting the second portion of my life, which is the family. Mm-hmm. And then that couple hours of solitude, doing whatever the heck I want. And then I start, and that's every day. Um, that's one of the things that this podcast has really done where it's like, I know we're talking and I'm interacting, but these have been times where there is no distraction. Like this talking is actually the opposite of distraction. Even though we're focused on something, we're focused on something internally and discussions and things get deep. Mm-hmm. And I find this has always been like my therapy. It's a one, once a month therapy that I'm like go. really grateful for. I'm learning. I have to be careful with these things I'm learning. Um, Cause I'll just throw things out there. And I'll, I'll look at people's reaction like, oh my gosh, you just shattered my whole worldview. Yeah, I'm kind of like, a little bit. Yeah, and I'm like, I'm, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not well versed enough in in the sense to help you now get through what I just exposed in your life because I'm still, I'm not at that part in the book. Yeah, yet. what's part two, right? Yeah, well, I'm in the chapter God and you, and so that's I'm learning one of the primary things to help us through these situations are relationships, healthy relationships, and and in a Christian perspective with God's people. Um, and submitting yourself to people who exhibit the mind of Christ. That was one of the quotes I took out of the chapter, which is, you know, not just anybody, but people that exhibit the mind of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, relationships, being vulnerable in them, and that takes courage. Um, and then our relationship with God being the primary uh, and, and building that and, and being disciplined and being, and being disciples. But I want to go back to that whole... Um, concept of like uh hallucinogenics and Mm -hmm. uh, yeah stuff like that so i did mushrooms once and it changed the way that i saw the world forever at that point yeah it's funny how they open up your brain in that way and and i never downplay the the validity of of pharmacia because it's a real strong thing let me ask you this before we go what was the biggest thing that you was different that you can't view differently time in space, <laughs> it sounds so trip, but like, it, it, and and just, uh, I can never watch the misadventures of Flapjack the same. I don't know what that is. Yeah, well, is that it's a cartoon. It's a cartoon. About a pancake? Yeah, no, it's it's oh. just a Cartoon Network cartoon. <laughs> but um, no, it was just the, the experiences that you can have that are outside of what you know normally. Yeah. Um, but that we did shrooms, and I was in high school, and I uh, I vividly remember, um just every room being a different universe. Every room was a different universe. and Every was, physical room? Yeah, and so every time you change the space, you were. Ch- it wasn't just I was walking from one room to another. I was changing into a whole other dimension, 
and this whole dimension had their own things in there. And someone told me, and the reason I'm saying this is because there's a spiritual connotation to it. So I know exactly what you're talking about, by the way. Have I told every, you this story before? No, no, I just, I've done a lot yeah, of shrooms. And so, every time you go from one, even if the lighting's different, you go to another room, everything about your world is different. Is different. Yeah, that's why when you watch something, like on TV, every scene is much. a different universe and it's it freaks you out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and, and, and it open, it opens you up to different aspects of spirituality. It's a pseudo-religious experience. It's it's a spiritual experience. And that's that's why they're... they're drugs or sorcery it's it's demonic it's opening you up to another realm and so like this story kind of emphasizes that and that's why i'm saying that telling it um because i someone told me don't look in the mirror and oh i, per, I forced myself to a few i did times. so i went and looked in the mirror and i was staring at myself and i looked like a dead person like i was i was dead but i was staring at myself in the mirror and all i saw was dead me which is crazy. And then I, and I was on the third floor of a house and I look out the window and it was black. And then I see out the window, I saw a, uh, a round table with like torches around it with hooded figures sitting around the table. And then I heard, um, can we have him yet? And then I heard another voice say, no, I'm not done with him. And it was clear to me that it was Satan asking for me. It was like the principalities and powers sitting around the table asking if they could have me and God telling them no. And then I ran out of that bathroom, like freaked out, really freaked out. And I'll never forget that experience. And it was, it was like, I was just staring into the darkness, but that, that was what came out. out. Mm. And, and I, and it was like, I just saw like I had entered into a spiritual realm that I had no business being in. And um, I think I think drugs open you up spiritually, but they also open you up to demonic influence to a greater degree. So, the thing that you're that you're experiencing is not of not of God; it's something else. Um, but we're designed as spiritual beings, and drugs kind of touch that. Um, but they again, it's it's religion and a pill pill without dealing with sin. It mm. leaves you without dealing with the main core issue, and it takes way more than it gives you. But that was that that night on shrooms ended up with me screaming my head off for an hour because someone shook a pug in my face, and dog. Yeah, and I asked him to stop, and they kept doing it. And you know the scene in Batman, like um, Batman Forever, Scarecrow? with the bat. No, the old Batman with like like the the nineteen nineties Batman, okay. where the bat, like the image of the bat, like flapping. I don't know if you remember. I don't this. remember now. But either way, I just had this pug seared in my brain, and every time I closed my eyes, I saw it's like face. <laughs> And I thought that its its face was going to be like forever impressed in my brain, and I was freaking out because I thought my brain was broken. Mm. And then someone came up to me and they said, "In forty five minutes, you're going to be d- done screaming." And I and I was, but that was the that was the first and last time I ever touched screams. I, I was more freaked out that that Satan was asking for my life at that point. Yeah, you really can't mess with somebody when they're on that. You need to be around good people that know what they're doing. Even good people like can do things wrong mm-hmm. around that situation. You're a suggestion, and the sober people are the scariest ones in that situation because yeah. they're not on your plane. And you don't know how they're going to react, and it could really mess you up. And the person who did that to me wasn't on shrooms, and she thought it was funny, and everybody else in the room was, and they weren't happy about it either. Yeah, I wouldn't. Okay, yeah. Anyway, I've I've been I've done them innumerable amount of times. I used to try and do them like once a week, uh, small doses, and I've had all different experiences. But it's interesting. The first, the first one I ever had. Not to go down this totally rabbit hole, and I might have told this story here before, but the first time I ever did them. I was with this girl who I, you know, was into and wanted to do them and acted like I had done them before. So, like, took a large amount with her and then 
ventured off on my own to go do something. She wanted to go outside, and I was like, no, I think, like, I want to experience inside. So I'm in this hotel, and it's, like, a tattoo convention. So, like, she was she was a somewhat, like, famous person. So, like, I got introduced to a lot of people, like, on TV shows. So I was, like, very excited to, like, be around some of the people in these shows. So anyway, so I'm going to these different hotel rooms. That, it sounds like a setup for a really bad situation. Yeah, so I'm going around all these people. She So she went to the beach, and I'm like, nah, that sounds like a bit much. Like, I'm going to stay inside. <laughs> it's of this too big hotel. of a universe to go outside. <laughs> and I didn't realize that it hadn't hit me yet. I was just feeling like the body aspects of it. Mm. I remember sitting here and I'm looking around at like these people and I'm trying to stay cool because I'm like, oh, these people are all on TV. So I'm trying to stay cool. And then and they're also like heavily body modified. So like well, things that I was totally okay with. And I had body modifications. Growing. Yeah, I had body modifications. But I remember like somebody must have been smoking or something in the one hotel room or vaping because he, I think he was blowing smoke to the side of the chair he was sitting in and the smoke was passing by a vent. And I remember as I'm sitting there watching him, it's this the high started to grow. And I saw the smoke and I was like, oh man, like that's coming out of the vents. And I was like, oh, this is how the wealthy get high. <laughs> they just inject it into the room. Yeah, yeah. And I thought smoke was being poured. I forgot I did shrooms at this point. Like no, I just forgot. So and so now I'm like, oh, I'm I'm high because I'm in this room. So the girl knew I was there. She was coming back. And I started to see everybody as like these monsters and like because of some of the body modification, like tongue split or like, you know, implants in their head, like some of it was just a bit much to deal yeah, with. You don't realize, you don't know <laughs> so, that that's a modification. You just think that's just a person. Yeah. So uh, yeah, you could, your imagination can go like with what I was seeing. So I left the room, which is the only way she would have found me. So I left the room and was going to other hotel rooms and then eventually found my room and I popped on the TV to just sort of chill out. And I didn't see, I just, I hit the power button and went over to the couch and got stuck on the couch while the opening scene for Saving Private Ryan comes on. Oh my God. And I just started crying and I was terrified and I thought I was under attack. So now I start ripping all of the beds, the bedding apart. Yeah. Mattresses, the couches, uh, the the pillows. And now, because I was able to eventually get up and I built a bunker, like a different layer bunker that I was like hiding in and trying to make my way to the door, but also create like a barricade to not get shot. And I was in like the fetal position and the door opens up and I, so bad. And I just saw where I was at and I was like, now I'm in the fetal position crying underneath this like bunker <laughs> while being shot at. And then the girl walks in the room and I was just like, I instantly knew where I was at and mm. what was going on. And I just felt like an idiot. Uh, but I explained to her what happened and I was like, I've never done this before. Anyway, it wanted to be better, but yeah, dude, it's like, it's crazy. It's really intense. Mm. I learned to do it a little bit differently after that, but the experience you were talking about with those figures, um, yeah, I fully believe that. Like, I, I'm sure a lot of people listening are either going to be totally on board with that or just think it's nonsense think or, it's just you, a trip. or it was just a trip. Yeah. But I've experienced that stuff both on and off. And I believe firmly that God, uh, that that stuff is happening constantly. I believe it's happening right now yeah. in this room that there's people, you know, beings that don't want this conversation to happen and beings that do want this conversation to happen or want to influence it. Yeah. And I believe that sometimes we as people need to see that or God just allows us to see it for whatever reason and opens us up to see what else is going on. Yeah. But I believe it's always happening. I don't believe we're just seeing it like on the few times. I believe it's constant. But you think like the word people are like, oh, the Bible doesn't talk about drugs ex explicitly. It does. It uses the word pharmakia sorcery for a reason because it has to do with that, that realm and they, and, and the influence that it has in that realm. And, and, and I think, and I hear people like if you, if you inspect my testimony and you look, I was high the night God changed my life and I was high the moment he spoke to me, but it wasn't like, 
me being high helped God's like I like people think oh when I re- I get high and I read the Bible it helps no it was more like God broke through that and I was I was sorely convicted that I was in that state mm. um, but He used it and and He also used the McDonald's cup at the same time and but then He told me He loved me and He used this the uh, David Crowder um, He makes everything glorious song on K-Love or one of those stations. Every time they have one of those pledge drives, mm-hmm. I get upset and I'm like, oh, I was asking for money. If anybody should give them money, it would be me because I, I, God used one of those radio stations and I changed my life. But he uses all those things, but it wasn't like, oh, drugs help me get closer to God. No, God broke through them and was like, um, you, you're, you, this isn't right. I'm, come with me. I'm been calling you. And I it's think time to God come. is always doing that. And when we're in that state, we're kind of more susceptible to everything. So yeah. we see what is always there. Not to say like, no, that's yeah. a good reason to go do it. No. But because um, in there, God will call you out. You know, you because I'm. People looked at my testimony one or two ways. You had a bad drug experience, and there, that that marijuana was laced with something, or God spoke to you through it. And I had to for a while. I would come back to my testimony like, man, wait, you had did you smoke too? Yeah, but I okay. faced like two blunts to my myself, and I was driving around the night that God changed my life, and it was it was I'm sure it was laced with something, but. Um, and and that kind of kicked off the whole the whole night. But I look back and I'm like, wow, was that um, was that just a bad drug experience? And you know how I know it wasn't because of the fruit of it and the situation. It changed my life forever. It was March 26, 2010. I haven't been the same since. Not even in a little bit. I was one day one way. I'm another day next. I was born again. It was it was dramatic, and it was it was big. It wasn't like a little experience. I know it was twelve. It was March 26, 2010, 12 o'clock at night. He who puts his hand to the plow looking back is not fit for the kingdom of God. And that was it. That was, that was, that was the breaking. That was like me falling on the stone. And you know, it talks about like the the stone, which the builders rejected. Mm -hmm. He talks about if you fall on that stone, you will be broken. That was the night. And that was the last time I ever got high. Last time I ever touched anything. And I remember the day after, and I'm, I'm, I'm going around telling the whole story because we'll be here for a while. Um, but I remember the, the, um, the day after, I remember thinking, I have half a pint of vodka at Paul's house. I should finish that first, and then I'll do this Christian thing, and the Holy Spirit clears day, who was now speaking to me, and he said, no, we're doing it this time, and that was it. That was it, and I, I never I never did drugs or alcohol or anything like that since, since that night, and I was addicted to all of them, and cigarettes took a little bit longer. Um, that was more like I just couldn't smoke a cigarette without uh, throwing up. Something else. Oh, okay. Yeah, and it wasn't uh, like I, I remember I was still walking with the Lord, and I wasn't really convicted in that area, but um, but it was just one of the things God removed, and He's just like we're just gonna remove just all he's of it. Saying the word cigarette, I want to smoke a cigarette. Yeah. So it's been it's been a while. But. So I, I in the beginning I wouldn't even drink coffee. I wouldn't watch TV. I was afraid to be addicted to anything. I would just it was me alone for three hours. But sometimes a day you gotta be radical. It was, and and for things came change. back over time. Like I drink coffee and watch TV now, but it was it, for a while. It was all I did was read my Bible, pray, play solitaire, and listen to Pandora uh, Christian music, and that was it for like for like six months in the beginning. Created a bubble, dude. The bubbles are sometimes they're a good thing as long as you don't want to stay in there forever. If you utilize you them realistic. for what they are, which is a period in time, I think they're amazing. You need them absolutely every beneficial. Once in a while. Yeah. I used to go camping by myself with nothing but a Bible and a tent and not eat, and I miss doing that because that was my that was my thing. That's those moments that, that we was were my solitude. Earlier. Yeah. I don't do it anymore. It's a, it's a spiritual discipline. It's a good one to just leave it's your like phone, leave marriage, and go like somewhere. Five years ago now, I remember you then, 
and yeah, I, I remember those 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 days. We we I was very we were we were uh, around a lot to watch a lot of those experiences for you. It was good. I've talked about that on here a few times. Like I miss some aspects of that person, but not all. Um, I like what I've learned since, but I think the thing I miss is the lack of distraction that I had. Honeymoon phase. I have so many distractions in life now that are all pulling me in the opposite direction of where I'd like to focus my life. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'm not saying that like in a terrible, I guess it's not a hundred percent cause I still have things that I, I do that I want to do, but there's definitely distract. And I mean, to be, be more specific, I mean, it could be as simple as like, I've turned off most notifications on my phones because I hate when I have time to do something. And then Netflix, it's like, it knows I'm not on my phone. It's like, Hey, you know, he's not doing anything. I bet he could watch a movie. So like, we're going to notify you that this show you like season two just came out hmm. and then I'll jump on that. And I, I hate that. So I've turned all that stuff off. I can't stand notifications. If I want to engage with your app or your media, I will do it on my own terms. The only outside influence you're going to get on me is billboards yeah. or a person talking you know, that you've influenced. It and takes discipline. It helps. It takes discipline. But it's not a hundred, but that's, I've literally just scratched the surface of what I could do. Mm. I'm going to slow things up for a bit because I'm done my coffee, which dude, that's a good call. Um, I needed it. We forgot to talk about the drink choice. Mm. You tried to do water and that's fine, but I wasn't doing it. So you went with, Strawberry bubbly. Yeah, which I'll only sip, but it's it's nice to have. If you do actually want water, I have water upstairs. Bottle water. to crack this with the, with the mic on? You can do it right on the mic. Ready? Make <laughs> <them> jealous. <laughs> yeah. This is a bubbly ad? Yes. Ah, oh, dude. Sometimes I can't get under. This is the, like this is the furthest I go with drinking things that aren't water and coffee. I don't remember the the taste of soda. Anymore. So Jenny buys soda every once in a while. I, well, both of us do, and I hate it. I wish soda wasn't available. I wish it was hard to find. So much sugar. Well, it's we do sugar free or like Coke Zero, but I'm like, what what is the alternative? Because this is sweet like sugar, and I don't. I, I get this uncomfortable feeling of like, mm-hmm. what am I putting in my body? Especially mm-hmm. when it's almost like a a can of soda is like a sip of an, any other drink. Yeah. Like as far as how long they last. Like I I would just. That's good. When I put a soda up to my lips, I will finish like a third of the can. Right? Yeah, uh-huh. I put this up to my lips and it's like, it's good, but it's not, it's like, there's something addictive about those things where they go down easy, whereas the extra bubbles in this is like, I can't do that. I can't chug. I tried to chug a seltzer last night to make room in my cup holder. <laughs> it was a horrible experience. They didn't burn and felt horrible down my throat. We were, we were kids, we would do that. And I would imagine now trying to do it with one of these. But I like that because it's not like, it's bad and I don't want to keep drinking. It's just you can't physically chug something like this without being uncomfortable. Whereas a soda, I feel like it's designed to let you just... It's designed to get down smooth in a way that just makes you drink more. Mm. And I don't understand because I know the amount I eat. I don't eat a lot. Like steaks, like <laughs> you saw what I ate upstairs. That was too much. I ate way too much. Mm-hmm. I had... What was it? A quesadilla? Um, venison quesadilla. Venison quesadilla, yeah. But it wasn't, it wasn't even that bloated. And I... I was having a hard time finishing it. Just didn't want to waste the meat. Mm. Um, but that was a lot for me. Like I can't eat like a full steak anymore. I have to do like a half a steak and maybe some aside. Like it's, it's rare that I can have like a full normal sized meal and I always feel terrible afterwards. Mm. But then when I think about when Jenny will buy a 12 pack of soda, I could have like two or three in that night. I'm like, where did that room in my stomach? I'm thinking ice cream too at the same easily. 
Yeah. And it's it's horrible, dude. Like the things, it's just I'm, I don't know what it is about certain types of food that it's like I have more room it's to eat them. Like we bread. say, like yeah, well we say like all right, if I eat pasta, which short of very recently, it's like been years. I, there's maybe like I, maybe two or three times I've had pasta in the last few years because I don't like the way it makes me feel. Hmm. I'm thinking of like gnocchis. I can eat a small gnocchis. amount of that, and my stomach feels like it's just like completely pushing at everything yeah. to its side. Or I can eat like a giant bowl of broccoli or a giant bowl of cereal. It'd be fine. I don't know what that is. Because I always thought your stomach gets full based on volume. Like if if I looked at the volume of something in front of me, but it's not. I don't understand that. Like a, a, like a, a four ounce or a six ounce steak, six ounce probably more realistically, uh, will fill me up. Mm-hmm. Or I can eat a bowl of cereal that is like used in a mixing bowl that you're supposed to like be making a cake in. Like a huge mixing bowl. yeah. And I'll be fine. The milk, the cereal, all of it. So I don't know what that is. I just heard something like this. I forget it. I was talking about... Um, no point to that. There's things in that meat that... I forget what it was. But there's a reason why like stuff like that satiates you better. Some of it. I mean, I know car- like if you if you eat like refined wheat, like white, like white bread and things like that, it just lingers longer than other types of food mm-hmm. in your system, in your body, and in your intestines. And huh. And it turns to fat and all kinds of other stuff that's not good. Yeah, I've been more interested over the past few years, just like, or past year again, it's starting to come back, of what I put in my body. Which I will segue to. I don't know if you've noticed, or anybody listening, that I keep sniffing and my nose is all stuffed up. I'm sick right now, and I know you feel are probably going to feel like you're sick now, because that's how Brian is. Uh, he has you everything. you're sick, I would have been on guard if I didn't so know So here's the time. thing. I'm not actually sick. <laughs> okay, like good. I am, but I'm not. So here's what happened. What and are I, your symptoms? Tell me all the details so I know what to look for in the future if it comes and hits me. Like a head cold. Okay, that's fine. But body aches. Basically COVID. No, I'm kidding. Um, stuffy runny nose, sore throat, and a cough that comes and goes. But it happened because I did something, and I think I introduced mold into my lungs mm-hmm. a couple of days ago, and I've been, a, I've been actually a little nervous, thinking about maybe I should go to the hospital. Really? So... I have sleep apnea. It's getting more mild as I lose weight, but I still have it. I still need my CPAP um, or else my body tries to murder me in my sleep. So if you're familiar with the CPAP machine or not, in case case you're not familiar with the CPAP machine, it basically blows air and I wear a mask around my face and my nose. That's the style I have. And it matches my breathing and will time itself to push in air as I breathe in and to stop for me to breathe out. And so it just makes sure that I keep breathing so that if I stop breathing, it will force the air and open my lungs and get my body back on a breathing so I don't get like a lack of oxygen. Now, it also has a humidifier inside of it. So the the portion that, so it basically pulls in air out through the side, filters it to make sure it's clean. It passes by this bowl that gets heated where I can add water that it'll pick up a small amount of steam mm-hmm. and send it through. And I've used that from time to time when... I'm stuffy, like, you know, anything like that. So my nose was a little stuffed, but it wasn't from a cold. It was because I worked in a woman's house right before I got off from work who was, her basement was loaded with cats, like ridiculous amount of cats. Are you allergic to cats? Very. And from the moment I was like, maybe like 20 minutes in to like that night, I just was wheezing a little bit. Uh, Or just, no, not wheezing. I had a stuffy nose. But it wasn't too bad. But anyway, I woke up, uh, long long story long, I wake up in the middle of the night, Jenny's away, right, for mm-hmm. work, she's traveling, 
So it's just me in the room, and I'm groggy when I wake up anyway. So I wake up in the middle of the night, my nose is stuffed, and I think I'm going to put some water in here, and hopefully it'll be broken up by the morning. So I don't have water, and I don't want to get out of bed. So I look over, and I'm reaching around for... No, I'm reaching around (laughs) for Jenny's side of the bed looking for water. I see a cup that looks clear. It looks like water is in there. Mm -hmm. I grab it, I put it in the humidifier, and I I fall asleep. When I wake up in the morning, there's a weird film or something over my face, like that is that was under the mask. What'd you put in there, dude? I, I gotta show you a picture of what happened. So, I'm thinking, what the heck is that? I've never had that experience before. Did I drool all over my face? Like I don't know what this is. And then as I'm going to work, I realize maybe that wasn't water. So I'm going to show you this video because like my mom was watching the kids and I called her up and I said, "Hey, can you check the container and tell me what it looks like?" Because a lot of things that get heated in there for hours, it will cook them even like when the when the water is gone, mm-hmm. it doesn't some things don't turn to steam. Like you know, so just like if you were boiling something yeah. in a in a pot, I've never had this experience with my thing because I've only ever put water, which is supposed to be distilled. I used to do distilled. Now I just do tap. Which is probably not great. All right. Is, I feel like this is a Carmen story. Like this is something that would only happen to you if it's breast milk. I'm gonna I'm gonna cry. Breast milk? No, no, okay. no. It looked like oh, yeah. water, but Jenny's this not breastfeeding. This anymore. doesn't look like water. So just I know you can't see it, but I'll explain it after Brian watches it. What is it? It's like mold. But what was in the cup? I, oh, so I found out. So it like cooked it. So it like as the water was re- was coming out, what, the other substances thickened, almost like I'm thickening. You know, so I couldn't see it at the time, but Jenny had put this packet, this powder in there, and mixed it up, and it, you can't see it. It looks clear, but it's like um, for autoimmune, like to help your immune system. Okay. So there's like proteins in there and like different vitamins <laughs> that you cannot inhale. Yeah, you should inhale. And so for six hours or so, I inhaled those um, throughout the night. And I think I messed myself up. And I think, like, there might have been some mold. It was an old cup, apparently, that I found. So I don't know. The cup got washed before I left, but I think there might have been more than water because I was half asleep and didn't have my glasses on, and I think I made a big mistake. So when I woke up, I started feeling worse. My nose was still stuffed, and I was having a hard time taking a full breath. Mm -hmm. And it's been like that for, like, two or three days now. So I have a steamer. Uh, so I've been doing steam treatments for the past day and a half upstairs, like this little Vic steam thing mm-hmm. I got, and I had to breathe it in, and uh, an inhaler that I haven't had to use in years, and a what else am I doing? A lot of no, I've been calling it my nose candy. I forget what it actually is. The uh, the nose uh, sprays. Okay. Yeah, not nose candy. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway. But yeah, dude, I, I'm actually a little nervous. I don't usually get nervous about things I do, but the way I feel... Oh, so when I looked it up on Google, I, it took me a while to really find no, answers. You Googled it. You shouldn't have done Well, that. I was trying to find like solid answers What'd and not just people's She's things. A nurse. She's a nurse. No. She was really nervous. Really? Because of the stuff that was in that. Now, I didn't do it. Well, I did it long enough that it could have given... It could give me an infection. And I think that's what may be happening. So I found out that the symptoms of getting spores or things that shouldn't be in your lungs will sometimes trigger your body to think it has a cold or to think allergies. And so I think it was just a coincidence that I was in that lady's house with the cats and then had this and that it's like almost like I've never left her basement. I'm getting anxiety with you telling me this. It's like I've never left her basement. <laughs> so I'm, earlier I poked a part in your and you that like, I was like, oh my God, <laughs> that, the part that you're poking in me is like uh, health anxieties. Yeah. Um, which, which is like, I would be so paranoid if I was you right now. I would, I wouldn't be able to relax. I, 
okay, you know how I was saying that when things make me nervous, I bury them. Mm-hmm. When that nervousness comes, I just bury it. I wish I could do that. I got a shovel. I keep keep in my pocket. As far as health anxieties, I wish I could do that. I constantly think I have some terminal thing going it feels, on in my body. It feels worse talking about it. Like I can notice more the fact that taking a full breath is a challenge. Mm-hmm. So I've been a little nervous that, and this just happened. This happened Thursday morning, and it's Saturday now. You know how you avoid these things. And you, you my wife, my kids—no, you just don't use cups that like you didn't just grab out of the cabinet. <laughs> it's like you're it, talking to I know sleepy me though. This is it though. You can't, you can't, you can't just drink a drink that uh, if I have my like if I left this out for hours, this this bubbly, and I came back. This is how ridiculous I can be. Um, my mindset is that the the bacteria from my mouth could have multiplied upon the lid of this, and I won't drink it. Doesn't it multiply in your mouth? Yeah, but it, it once it hits the air and there's other things, it's like it's like. So I if I, I if I drink a drink and I, I'm gone for more than an hour from that drink, I will I will clean the cup and wipe the rim and then, yeah. So there's there's parts of me that still like that that whole separation anxiety kind of like as a kid. I see it it deals with a lot of other health anxiety. I've had health anxiety since I was a, since I was young. It started yeah. with asthma asthma attack as a kid. And that that triggered that scary. from I was I was that kid with the breathing treatments and the inhalers and the allergy. I used to get shots and one in each arm once a week for allergies stuff like that. Yeah, and it it's still it's a, I always have something that I'm fighting mentally. It's, yeah, it's a little scary. We're all broken, and I know I know truth, but when you're dealing with anxiety, you can't, it's hard to just talk yourself off the ledge. Yeah, it's really hard. So everybody that I've talked to about this seems to be more nervous than. I'm expressing, I guess. You look okay, but from what you just described to me, I'm, I'm worried for you. It's not like, all right, so like all people are seeing or would see is that my nose is getting stuffy. Mm-hmm. Like I'm sniffling or blowing my nose a lot. Uh, you can't see, the, like I'm not wheezing, but it is challenging to take a full breath. Mm-hmm. So like I said, I've been doing my treatments and the inhaler, which I actually brought with me. And now Your I, inhaler? I just because we <laughs> talked about it. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. <laughs> Yep. Anyway, <clears throat> I remember those. Yeah, maybe in the next podcast I'll have another part two of this story of how I went to the hospital and they had to like give me robotic lungs because I ruined my my first one. Pneumonia. I feel, I I feel like that every day, like because uh, I'm always around concrete dust all the time. Mm. Dude, I think about it all the time. Yeah, silicone inhaling. Like, but I just look at like my like people I work with that have been doing it for thirty years, and I'm like, hey, you look alright, and you do this every day, so. I used to, all right, so when I was doing the trash, like picking trash, we would breathe in a lot of stuff. Mm. And it's always different. Sometimes it'd be construction material. Sometimes it would be chemicals. And I would say stuff, and other people that were there were like, yeah, but look at look at so-and-so. Look at that. Like, they're fine. I'm like, no, they don't go to the doctors. They're, they're, you never they're know. like from a different generation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, and if you ask them, hey, like, how are you doing health-wise? Like, you've been doing this for a long time. They'd be like, I don't know. I don't go to the doctors because <laughs> the doctor's just going to tell me what's wrong with me, and then I die. Yeah. And I'm like... Yeah, or you just don't go and then you die. Yeah, either one. Um, so, anyway, I always had a fear of that, of like all the stuff I breathed in. More so than the stuff I've intentionally put in my body. I'm nervous about stuff from work. So I've, I've always been like a guy to, it's funny, I, I've always been okay with masks until the past two years. I went from like being super pro mask and laughed at like when I was sick. I'd be sick and wear a mask cool. to work because yeah. why would I want anybody else to get sick? Or... 
you know, if I was working in something dusty, like when I went into the dump to actually dump stuff, yeah. I had worn masks. I would put a mask on and go out, and I'm like, I don't care about the smell. I care about breathing in whatever I'm smelling. The normal use of a mask? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Being forced was a different story. I was totally one of those guys. It's so Because one of the dude. normal use for a mask isn't social like signaling like that's not the normal use of a mask the normal use is to stop things from getting you know in your nose and in your lungs i got that early from from china watching like uh, old videos of chinese like the chinese people Nepal. commuting and they would always wear masks and i always thought man i wish we did that here when you're sick just to be pl- it's a play thing to do yeah. whereas this was more like it's gonna stop I'm like no it's it doesn't stop things like that like it was it's more of like if you're coughing you don't want to be coughing on people yeah or spreading your germs. Anyway, that's all. I don't. I feel myself going down that route. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. I, COVID seems to be done in the news, mm. or for most of it. Except and for that YouTube, BA dot two thing going don't even, on. Don't even know what that is. Not even, Me neither. Care. Me neither. I I asked Jenny recently. It I said, nothing. Jen. I said, is COVID done? Because she watches the news. I I just look at YouTube and independent media, but I get stuff suggested to me all the time. And I, I said, Jen, news more than I should recently. Yeah. Oh, dude, I can't. So I asked her, I said, is COVID done? She's like, what? I'm like, well, YouTube isn't constantly suggesting a whole, like, because when you go on YouTube premium, I don't know if it's like this for everybody, but for the YouTube premium, it has like all my different things that I like, and it's, you know, separates them into different sections that I can go left or right on. Mm -hmm. So as I'm going down, it would always be like the third one down would be COVID news. And I've never been into that. Not even from the beginning did I ever go to YouTube for that crap. And it stopped showing up on my feed. And I was like, I think COVID might be done because YouTube is not trying to shove it down my throat every time yeah. I want to look at a video of some guy getting hit by a car. <laughs> you know? That Omicron uh, just infected everybody. Now we're good. <laughs> so. Now we're good. Yeah. Uh, that Yeah, it's been a weird couple of years. I hope it really is done. But who knows? I wouldn't be... I'm not surprised by... I was just talking about this with somebody yesterday. They were talking about you know the ways of the world and how things are getting crazy, and it's easier said than done. But I was like, uh, "Why are you surprised?" Like, I get why you care or you be concerned or upset by them because they don't align with your morals. But when the world does something that you don't agree with, that's normal. If the world started doing things that morally aligned with me, I would actually be a little confused. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm not supposed to be of the world. I am supposed to be above reproach in many aspects, and I'm supposed to be separate, a separate being living in harmony with the world, you know, in some respect. Mm-hmm. So if I'm not confused, you know, if I'm, if I'm not uh, concerned with the way the world is heading, then I would question if I'm, if the Bible is real. Yeah. Like, I, I need that in my life. I need the world to be doing things that I'm like, that's wrong. Now, the world, you know, some people in the world can agree. Like, I think with the trans thing and, like, or things that affect children in general, yeah. like different ideologies that are being pushed into younger people, you see a lot of the world, whether you're Christian or not, pushing back. So I think that's fine, but when I see the main, whatever the mainstream is doing, mm-hmm. I think it's unhealthy to be uh, surprised by any of it. The direction shouldn't be in a, in, like, in total, I Yeah, in I think I'm just way. repeating myself, but yeah. That, but the direction should be in, uh, in, we're... we're the direction of the world is headed toward Armageddon. That's that's the that's yeah, the direction. Yeah, that's a better way to put it. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. So if we're moving in that direction, then we're doing good. Which I mean, not to go in that area of Armageddon, I've learned is not a single day event. It's a three year a three year campaign. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So the person said to me, "Well, don't you fight? You know, maybe it's because your kids aren't aren't old enough yet." And I was like, "No, no. Like 
when it comes time to vote, like I vote, I'm not going to sit home and say, oh, well, the world's going to crap. I'm not going to do anything about it. Mm. Or, oh, my house is on fire. What am I going to do about it? No, I'm like, I'm going to put out the fire if I have, if I have something in front of me that I could do. Yeah. But I'm not going to concern myself with things that are beyond me that are just good, that I'm not going to affect short of affecting myself negatively, like adding stress to my life. Yeah. Now I do things every day for it. And that thing I do every day is when the opportunity arises for a conversation or if somebody asks me a question, I answer morally and not comfortably. Mm-hmm. Um, because often morally answering something in my position and my beliefs is uncomfortable. So it's easy to be comfortable and just go along with virtue signaling your thoughts of the world. Uh, it's, it's much easier than going against the world in mm-hmm. anything like Going a little sidetrack, but it was interesting. I heard some something that I forget what podcast I listened to has mentioned this a bunch. I think it might have been Tim Cast, but he talks about this professor who is talking with these his his students, and he asks them something along the lines of like, uh, "Hey, how many of you believe that if you were alive during the times of slavery, that you would have opposed it?" And they all raise their hands. Okay, that's re- respectable nonsense. And then he says, "Well, then he says." Okay, now what today do you oppose that is against the mainstream, that to be outspoken about shuns you in some way or makes you an outcast in some way? Nobody raised their hands on anything. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, then you would be for slavery because that's that was the positive thing that society viewed or viewed as 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 that was the flow of things. And to go against that would have made you an outcast in that portion. You so, know who would have gone against it? Those true. who follow the Bible. I mean, to, to the degree that it's like, yeah. you know, that's why slavery ended. But then I, yeah, but then I thought about it, I'm like, I, f- maybe it's not always good, but I feel like most of the things that I have an opinion on, I side up in opposition of the mainstream and not because, and it feels like sometimes it's like, I might come off as I'm constantly trying to argue or be argumentative. And it's like, no, like, it's just, it's like, I already know your answer because your answer to this question as the mainstream will almost always feel like it's the opposite of what I'm thinking. Like I can answer first and mm-hmm. you'll tell me you think the opposite. doesn't matter who gets asked first. It's just, there's so much opposition between the world and God because they are not the same. They are opposites. Different. And I don't mean as individuals, but just as the influence of what I believe is Satan in this world will oppose God in every aspect. So when the world is doing something, I expect opposition. I expect, mm. in fact, I've been shocked at the fact that I don't disagree with much of what's going on between Ukraine and Russia right now. I'm like, oh, we all understand that like Russia's kind of doing something messed up. Oh, we all understand that Ukraine's a little weird in the, you know, in this aspect, but we all understand like that they should have guns and support and like try and protect themselves. Like it's weird that mainstream has aligned well and it makes me actually nervous because I'm like, all right, now what's going on? So there's some agenda, like what what's the play going to be to separate us all? Because we're all kind of on the same page now and I'm just waiting for the separation. I feel like very few people know exactly what's going on over there. Yeah. And, and I really don't. I, I've been trying, I see all those YouTube videos like, oh, understand the conflict and I, I don't really want to. I just, I just, I'm just watching it to see how, Rus- like, because I know Russia as far as end times is a major player. So I'm just watching it to see how they do and what they're doing. But I saw this interview the other day with Putin, and he was saying something. I forget what it was, but it was like, um, was it critis- recent or an old one? It, it was recent. It was him criticizing those who have a Western mindset, and then he started talking about like um, LGBTQ rights and like. I did hear this. Yeah, I know. And then they cut him off real quick, and I'm like, wait a minute. There, like he 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 has like an ultra conservative view. 
on a lot of things that you like I'm like wait, which is which is really interesting like I wasn't expecting that to come out of his mouth and and the situation and I'm like all right there's another there's another aspect of what something that's going on here with I Ukraine. I believed that that was propaganda. Yeah, yeah, and I was just, I, I but I was just like they were trying to point out like some something completely different and they cut off the interview and I was not like I was Sorry. saying I'm I'm for what he was saying about it cuz yeah. it was more like it, it was sparks interest. It it was just like wait a minute there's I I don't care to look oh, too deep me. into it um because that's not why I'm looking at it. That's why I said I've been looking at the news more than I should be recently. Because um, I, I boycotted it for a, for a while. Like, for the longest time, I didn't um, to talk politically. I didn't, I didn't, I wouldn't hear anything that Biden said. Like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't watch an interview or anything with him saying anything. I just can't stand listening to the man speak. But It took me a while, too. I, just recently, and the, the first time I've heard him talk was the State of the Union. And the only reason I listened to it was because I wanted to know what he was going to say about Russia and on all the stuff going on over there. But otherwise, I have I have no I have no desire to listen to anything he says about anything. But um, there's there's something else going on there, and I'm just watching it because, um, yeah. And Israel being a mediator there, that's like there's some things that are working, and I'm not concerned in the sense that what's going to happen. It's like all right, well, I see these players, and one thing I another book that I've been reading. Um, that I suggest for anybody that wants to study end times, it's uh, things to come: a study in eschatology by Dwight um, Dwight Eisenhower, something like that. I think I have that book. Really? Yeah, I think I have that upstairs. Oh, it's a great one. And I it's, could be wrong. I just I know of that book, and I think it's because I have it. I've learned so much about like what's hap- what's going to happen in the you know tribulation and, and the, the, the the political landscape and the all of that. And Russia, I think in, in my studies of Russia is one of the the few uh, that that actually oppose the Antichrist, and them with the kings of the kings of there like China, and the the Ezekiel or the the Ezekiel War kicks off the Battle of Armageddon, which is a campaign, and that's where Russia comes down. And some people have different views on when the Ezekiel War is, but in that book, it it gives strong arguments that it's at the three year part mark, the Antichrist comes up to defend Israel because they have a they have a, um, a, a a pact, and. They, he, there's that, that Ezekiel war and all these things happen. And then the Antichrist sets up base camp in Israel from there. And this all leads up to the Armageddon where, where, um, the Euphrates dries up the, uh, the, the, and there's other, there's other players in that Ezekiel war, but, uh, long story short, the, uh, the Kings of the East are from like China basically comes across to fight, uh, the Antichrist and got They're, they're all gathered there for this giant battle. And right before that battle happens, Christ returns, and they both turn together to fight Christ, like a movie style. And you realize that he was gathering them all to judge them the whole time, and that's where Christ comes back. And then the Battle of Armageddon starts with that Ezekiel War, and people would disagree depending on your eschatology. But then it ends with the with the the um the, in the Valley of Megiddo, which that battle, that final battle, stretches from Megiddo all the way to Jerusalem. And there's there, that's where Christ the horse the blood goes the horse's bridle. He gathers them to judge them and conquer them all at the last like the last battle. So like the, so this is years after the Bible speaks of the rapture. This yeah, this would be like three years after to the end of the tribulation. Sometimes I wonder if the whole heightened um, admission of alien beings and UFOs is leading towards an explanation of the disappearance of it's all part of it portion of the world. Just if a few movies. That, I, talk, I, I, I the reason I said that, that the movie The Eternals. The reason I hated it so much 
was because they're they're desensitizing people to a lot of what's going to be happening in the the tribulation period and that movie was just blatant there was babylonian like idol worship and and just they even used their names of like the mysteries religion uh, which is a whole other topic but they're just they're preparing people and like when, when i watched the um the Avengers uh, Endgame or whatever, I forget which one it was, but the first one uh, with, with Thanos was the snap and people mm-hmm. disappearing. I'm like, this is, they're just taking it from, from, from the playbook from the Bible. But Well, sometimes I wonder if it's malicious or if things are just lining up too well and it's, it's just a it's a sparked interest of many people, whether they believe it as reality or not. Like Greek mythology is very interesting. Like it influenced one of my favorite video games, God of War. Yeah. I don't believe in Greek mythology, but I love God of War and the whole story behind it and the characters. And I wonder if it's just entertaining. And then there comes a point where they intersect and people we love start it. seeing more things align with. You talk about end anyway, times. It's easy to think that it's malicious, which I think it's not. No, but they don't know what they're doing. But they, you talk about end times and you want to witness to somebody, bring up um, Armageddon or bring up something like that and explain to them what, what it really is. I'm, I've had conversations with my boss and people at work. And because they start talking about like, oh, the, you hear what's happening? And I'm like, yeah, this is... And, I, and then I start to like feed into like revelation stuff. That's mm-hmm. why it's important to know end times. And then it leads into the... It can lead into the gospel right from there. And the, there's very few people that won't want to talk about that kind of stuff. Speaking of battles, I noticed you have a scratch on your face. Yes. It looks I'm, very much like a battle scar that goes... Oh, yeah. Across, yeah, it goes from like your forehead through the eye. Uh-huh down to like your upper cheek and it looks pretty dope it looked a lot cooler I, I a couple days ago you, yeah i meant to ask you when you came in what happened it's uh, like a cat or it, something. no it's 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 it was jujitsu oh really i was training yeah and uh Did it scra- like actual scratch no it wasn't somebody's nail it's it sounds it sounds like cool like you're doing jujitsu and you got your face scratch so i was in a position called north south on a guy and it's, <laughs> it's <laughs> no, sorry. Sorry. It's, a, it's, a, it's gonna a, it's gonna make you laugh even greater. I'm so I'm in north south, which kind of puts you, I was like my head was like on their belly, yeah. right? And he reached his legs up and grabbed my head with his legs. And uh, there's this little part in your belt, you know, like you have belt loops, and the pants have a belt loop, and the, the corner of it's sharp. Yeah. And he was reaching his legs up to try to like kind of put me in like a triangle from north south, and like as he went down, it scraped across my eye. And I didn't realize how bad it looked. It didn't feel anywhere near what it looked like. And afterwards, we're all hanging out, and people are just looking at me like, what's wrong with your face? And I'm like, what? Did I get scratched? And there was just this line from like the top of my forehead down through my eye. It was a lot bigger than it is right now. Yeah, it's like very straight and looks like like in a video game when you're building a character and yeah. you want the like the the, the dope scar. It was kind of cool. It, it looks very yeah, specific. Kratos style. But yeah, like it doesn't scar. look Kratos. <laughs> yeah. We, I, I do the Wednesday night. I run, wife and myself and other people run the... Um, kids club wednesday night kids club and i was teaching the kids and they're like what's wrong with your face and i forgot, <laughs> kids are, so I forgot. Kids like, are great. their kids were looking at me i was like yeah yeah i yeah i told them what happened they didn't understand but yeah. <laughs> I, I said I, I look like scar from uh, lion king there you go dude i was watching youtube or no instagram and some guy i don't know why i even follow this maybe it's just like one of those things where you go into a reel and you I don't know about you, but sometimes I'll click on a video for sound. I don't want anything but sound, and I don't realize that it opens up a reel. And as I start scrolling after that, I'm watching videos that are not really curtailed to me, but more to the video that I tapped on. Mm-hmm. And so you just go down this weird rabbit hole, and like, why am I getting makeup feeds? And I'm, like, I'm taking my earrings out because they're pressing on the, oh, the headphones. Oh, good. 
Um, anyway, that's a total other issue that annoys me. But um, sometimes I get this guy who just watches Disney videos. And I don't know why. Cause I, maybe it's because I keep watching them and they keep getting sent to me. But um, he'll break down things that are kind of disturbing. And he shows the scene after in Lion King, after Mufasa dies. And I realize it cuts to Scar in his cave eating something. And he's like chewing a bone, right? And he throws the bone into a pile of bones that looks like, and I've never paid attention to any of this, but it looks like a rib cage. And like, you could see the structure of a a dead animal, like a carcass. Mm -hmm. And the guy shows the split screen of that paused and goes into Google and he looks up dead lion carcass and, or something like that. And looks up the bones, the way a a dead lion would look. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's identical. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, all right. He's he's definitely chewing on it and eating a lion. Yeah, yeah. Right? So he, this is, again, seconds after Mufasa's dead. Yeah. Then he goes and Googles, do uh, are lions cannibals or something? And he finds <laughs> out that often when two lions will fight or something, you know, they will cannibalize the defeated lion. Okay. So Scar ate his brother. Scar ate Mufasa he? after he killed. There was no body. There was no body. There was no body. He went down. And he couldn't find his father. And then it shows. You know, he screams. And that's when he tells him. You know, go run away and and never return. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. there was no body there. And then it cuts to him eating. Well, there there is a Mufasa. scene. Well, there is a scene where he's like trying to get his dad to get up. Oh, there. Yeah, there is. Yeah, that. But he I'm runs sorry, away right, after right, that. Right, but right. he never comes back. Oh, you're right. There was a body. But anyway, he makes him run away, and then it cuts to Scar eating Mufasa. And I thought that was horrifying. That's another level. He's a psychopath, that guy. Damn, that's messed up. Yeah. Anyway, so that yeah. makes a really you know cute little level added to that movie. So the scar looks a lot cooler on my face than than, it, than the actual story of it. Yeah, it's all good. Well, tell people something else. Tell me you got a knife fight. You protected a child. <laughs> well, a funny Save story is I told life. the guy at Wawa right after it happened, because he, he was staring at me real funny. And I was like, yeah, I got in a knife fight, and I and I, I fought him off because I was wearing like my jujitsu like clothes and yeah. stuff. And this guy like perked up, and he started tell like he started telling me about how he um he did like play fighting like on stage and all. Yeah. And Nicole told me later I didn't realize he had like he had, like a, a Power Ranger belt and like a Power Ranger ring on, oh and like he gosh. was like one of those guys, and he got like real excited when I told him that. <laughs> it was just weird, an awkward moment at Wawa. I try not to make fun of people. But no, it was cool. They, I didn't realize how uh, cool he was. I just oh, you, oh, sorry. We were going totally different ways. I was thinking about how uncool with the Power Ranger belt. It right. takes some real. It takes some real comfortable, like being comfortable yourself to wear a Power Ranger belt in public. I wish I had enough courage. I would do. That. I don't know, man. The internet has provided a way to be comfortable in anything you're into nowadays, mm-hmm. and just to feel like it's totally normal until you step outside and you realize that that it's not group of thousands on the internet are like. Less than half of a percent in the real world. <laughs> yeah, you'll never encounter another one. But like, yeah, you. that's why cities are dangerous sometimes because you can physically go out and meet up with those people. I think it's kind of nice when you're not in a city and you can see a little bit more relatively like how weird some things that you might be into are, and it kind of kind of keeps you level. I mean, not not that being weird is is bad, but it definitely um, it makes it easier to go down weird rabbit holes when you're surrounded by so many people mm. and feel comfortable in something that might not be as beneficial to your life as you may feel you know not everything that feels good is good Mm -hmm. (laughs) i'm just thinking of so many different things (laughs) i'm mostly just furries are popping in my mind that's a that's a rabbit or or not a rabbit hole that is a a thing that i don't fully understand if it's sexual if it's 
playful if it's just an escape from reality like i'm trying to find something when my psychology yeah yeah have you gotten to the fairy chapter (laughs) yet (laughs) the one thing i haven't understood community say it's not sexual but i'm like all right so is it like dungeons and dragons is it just a community yeah like because it seems sexual to me i don't know Mm. i need to get a furry on here to really break this down your problem if you know any furries let them know like they can come on here if anybody's listening and you're a furry and you live in the philadelphia area let me know i feel like if god didn't save my wife she would have been one of those but you got to do the interview if you come in here we got to have the podcast can't be a furry but you know that that was the past she was on oh gotcha gotcha well if you if you are a furry and you want to come on the show you got to come dressed as your furry animal for the the entirety of the episode, that's cool, man. Whatever you like, that's cool. I want you to commit when you explain. I just started to me. watching Pokemon again, so you know. Oh just... yeah, you did tell me that. I, I didn't. I missed the whole Pokemon that you were telling me about. How like you your your mom DVR'd it or recorded it, right? It was VHS nostalgia kind of thing. Yeah. I I used to run home for Transformers. That's what I always wanted to okay. watch. Transformers and the Dragon original Ball Power Z. Rangers. Ah, oh, <laughs> no, nah, I never watched Dragon Ball Z. Really? Wednesday yeah. nights. That was my that was my go to. Anime is definitely getting more popular. I got a real nerdy side to me, which I... I, I it's fun. Yeah. You just can't make it your um, your identity. No. And no, I, no, I no. can't. You can. I, I think it's it's unhealthy to make anything your identity. That's what drives me nuts about the whole sexual identities. Like, it comes off for many people as, like, being anti-gay, anti... But people aren't going out and, like, making their identity straight. Like, yeah. their identity isn't their sexuality. It's like... And I've heard the arguments and... That's I'm not not trying to go down that rabbit hole, but or into that whole whole realm. Unless I was speaking to somebody that really is on that side, mm-hmm. I don't want to go down there right now. But just so many people nowadays feel like it feels like they want community to a degree where they make that community who they are, and then it makes it that much harder, I believe, to disagree with anything. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you're disagreeing with you get cut off. your community, yeah, you're cut off. But you also like it's like you're denying a part of yourself and it's like, well, that's not really who you are. It's when you separate yourself from an identity, you realize that you can disagree with things. You can agree with things or, you know, you can take different positions because it's not so tied to who you are. It's not detrimental to your being. Mm -hmm. And that's why I just, if I feel myself, I'm sure I'm in different identities like that I promote without knowing. But if I, catch wind of any of that, I want to destroy it and break it because I don't want to ever be tied down to an ideology based on a community that I feel like I need that is my identity. Ideology is dangerous in any aspect. Even Christianity. It's it's actually probably the biggest detriment to a lot of people Mm -hmm. and like causing them to leave is because you fall so much into that identity. And when you're falling into that identity, you're not usually falling into the identity of the source. It's not the source subject. It's usually what is built upon the source, which is flawed yeah because it's made by people so anything you identify that is with that is flawed you're gonna then fall into that flawed category anyway maybe i'm maybe i'm not making any sense but there's just it's a problem that is becoming so exacerbated exacerbated by the internet and by these social medias that are allowing these groups to feel more empowered Mm -hmm. like i was just talking with somebody the other day about not like and this is an old, old school kind of person or an older person, and I was talking with them about television, and I was asking them like, "What are they watching?" And they were like, "Honestly, nothing. Like, I can't get into anything." And they were watching the proposal with Ryan Reynolds, and I was like, "What a stupid move! Like, why? That's what you chose. Trust me, there's better movies." So I was trying to tell them. To is watch that the, the one with? Uh, uh, oh, what's your name e, from Bird Box? E, yeah, e, yeah. Those I don't are doing a dance. I don't. I, I kind of like that movie. I've right? never seen it full all okay. the way through. 
Okay. So maybe that's why. Yeah, that's, that's why, why he's like it. his. He marries his boss, or just, yeah. I think so. Okay. So I uh, like Ryan Reynolds. It's just that's quote not this, that was not for this me. Movie often. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, oh, where was I going with that? Oh, so they were saying that most of what they see promoted to them is like gay and or like sexual or like young people talking about sex or like everybody in there is gay and it's like i know that this person i'm speaking to doesn't agree with that but i've never heard them speak ill of that Mm. so i know that they're not like anti that lifestyle it's not for them but they're not they don't have a problem with it and what we were discussing was that it's become so much louder in today's society where that identity and identifying with your sexuality is like, if you look at it, it's like a very small percentage, like 1% or somewhere around 1% that is gay or trans. And yet when you go on to uh, media, love any sort, it's like 50% of it. And I'm, I mean, I'm just making these numbers right, up, right. but it's such a large percent. It's like, I feel like I'm bombarded by things nowadays that I don't relate to. And that's what bothers me is like, I'm finding things less relatable in society and culture through film yeah. than I would like. Movies are horrible for that reason nowadays. Man, I'm Disney, so Disney movies too. Um, but maybe it's like, you know, maybe that other person, maybe that small percentage is now seeing TV and saying, wow, everything I look at is seeming more relatable. So there's, there's different mm-hmm. sides to both of it. Mm-hmm. I think there's just the balance. We're at a weird point where I feel like, We've, it's almost like running into our band. You can run and run and run, and it's going to get tighter and tighter and tighter until it springs back, and then we meet in the middle again, and then it goes and it keep, keeps going. And it's like we're constantly on this back and forth, and we can never find balance. And right now, I feel like we're at the, we're as far as it can stretch. And like it needs to be pulled back, but unfortunately, when we pull back, we pull back too far. And it's like, mm-hmm. what, what problems are going to arise? I just wish we could find a balance to it. But right now, I just feel very disassociated with what seems to be mainstream, whether it be through media, movies, TV shows, culture, it just feels very separated from me. I haven't seen a good movie that, that doesn't have something like that integrated into it recently. It's, it's very upsetting actually. Cause I used to love going to the movies. I love what like, but everything is so saturated with what you're talking about. It's just a turnoff for me. Now, and I was saying to this person too, it's like, I, I, it's hard because when you're complaining about it, Obviously, to a degree, you do care. I want to say I don't care, but I guess to some degree, I do. I don't want sexuality of any sort to be a main theme for anything my kids are, that's Mm -hmm. made for my kids that are two and four years old. Nothing. There's no reason for it. It doesn't have to be. I don't even think they need to see a love interest. Not because I'm trying to shun them from it, but because that's not that's not what they care about at this point. They want to see colorful, fluffy things and like and I want them to learn through it. So like if you're gonna put any agenda in it, make it something that's like teaching them math or science. Like yeah. I'm into that. Um just like I would be hi- fine with hiding broccoli into like a popsicle if I could. Uh it was a weird example, but just like you know, you feeding them healthy foods, you know, and making it fun. So it just seems odd. It feels like they're forcibly trying to add things where they don't belong. And it's not that I don't think that shouldn't be a part of our society, like learning about these things. I just feel like it's going to a, a generation that is far too young. It's really weird. Mm. Like the whole thing with the don't say gay bill, which is not don't say gay. I don't know if you, I don't, if you are listening, you don't know what I'm talking about. Please go look that up and figure out. Nothing of it. It's the, so there's this, and I, I'm, I'm going to botch this, but there was some sort of legislation that was being introduced that would 
basically say like up to third grade, um, if a student goes to a teacher and asks them a question like about something like gay or sexual that the teacher can, yes, can engage with that student and answer a question. They don't, you know, even if that engagement is, Hey, you should really talk to your parent about that. It, it just, they're there. They don't have to just shut it off and disengage with the child. What it does um, stop them from doing is making it a main conversation from the teacher teaching the class. I believe this is what it was. It was making it so that sexuality or not just sex ed, but sexuality um, and different identities and the things that we're, you know, the world is, is going through right now or, or making people aware of. It, it can't be like a main subject between the teacher and the entire class. But if an individual approaches the teacher, that's okay. So, Somehow out of that, the Democratic Party pushed the agenda that it was the don't say gay, which was pulled so far out of their rear ends. Like it was completely made up. There was nothing about not saying they were gay. Saying, it was like you can't even promote straight. So they were saying that there's that this whole thing was saying that you can't say, you can't use these words, you can't talk about that. That's what you can't okay if i was a teacher they were saying that you were hit that they were hindering teachers from speaking about these things they were saying yeah like you can't talk about gay and it was like no like you can't talk about sexuality anything like to that but there was more than just sexuality it was like all different things that until you reached a certain age or a certain grade level it couldn't be a subject matter of a class okay but in no way did it did it tie the hands of the teachers from just talking with a student if a student had a question. Yeah. Because a lot of kids don't have parents to go home and ask these things. A lot of kids do learn things from their teachers. I mean, that's that's the point. Mm. Um, I don't think they should force themselves in that position, but sometimes if that position falls upon them, I think that's, you know, it, it, something good that they would, you know, put themselves out there to be a little bit more for a student than what they're required to do. It's the forcibly thing and the thinking that they know better than the parents. That's the stuff that drives me nuts. Mm. So anyway, get a little sidetrack with that, but... I don't remember how I got started on this, but Watching oh, we're talking TV. about oh yeah, yeah, talking about things like being forced too young. Like I don't want my kids in first, second, and third grade to be sat down and talked about how some boys feel like they're girls and some girls feel like they're boys. Like if What's in in fourth or fifth or sixth grade, if you want to add that in now to like sex ed, I understand. I don't agree with it. I think it is there is like a mental problem with somebody that's dealing with that, and I don't mm. say that in an insulting way. I think that. As human beings, there's a lot of illnesses nowadays that people have or things that people suffer through that rather than trying to help the person, we just try and curtail the world around their illness to make them feel comfortable because it's all about feeling good rather than facing your problem, just like we were talking about earlier. You know, it's like I could easily be afraid to face my inner demons, and how easy would that be if the whole world just kind of helped curtail curtail itself around my problems to make me never have to face them? I heard Dennis Prager talking about this the other day. I was listening to him on uh, 990, and he said uh, he he was asking some questions about sexual education, and his premise was that we should get rid of it totally in school. And he said, uh, what good has it done? Has it reduced the sex out of uh, children out of wedlock? Has it reduced abortions? Has Has it done? What good has sexual education done in the sense of like it's, it's it's stopped STDs. It's like you know it, he he go he he was actually quoting some some sources and it really hasn't done that much except for teach kids about these things and spread an agenda. And he was he was advocating the total removal of it from schools. And when he was talking, he was talking about for years that we that there, it wasn't there and it wasn't only, it was only recently that schools have 
have like within the last 20 30 years that they've started doing sexual education in schools and he he was saying it's the I don't know anything else I didn't so I didn't know that yeah it was the it was the parents uh, it's the parents' res- responsibility to speak to the kids about it you know I mean so well, we play devil's advocate because here's something that I've heard that I would I don't know if I'd agree with but it makes sense I don't know the reality of it but my devil's advocate argument would be well what about the kids who aren't being taught that or who are being taught things that are really damaging like that sex is bad like yeah. there's there's even in Christianity there's a whole other level of like. Some people, I think, are so afraid of, whether it's Christianity or not, I think some parents are so afraid of their child ending up like that pregnant teenager that they create a fear, whether it's intentional or not. They create this fear in that child that sex is bad, and that carries on into your adulthood. He was talking about that, too. You feel guilt in enjoying yourself sexually Mm -hmm. or letting go and having that freedom to, like, enjoy pleasure with this significant other. Mm -hmm. Like, I remember having, having a little bit of that when I was when I was younger and like first starting to explore that aspect of life, it was like a very uncomfortable thing for me to be comfortable with that. And it's because I was many things. I don't want to get into all that, but it wasn't necessarily my parents, but it was other influences that made me feel like these things were dirty and Mm -hmm. wrong. And that I couldn't separate a time when they were right. It's, it's the Adam and Eve principle. It's, um, Adam. So when Eve was confronted by the serpent, she said, we're not allowed to eat it or even touch it or even look at it, you know, like emphasize it even more. And it was, I've heard people talk like Joe Foch, I think, or someone I was listening to was saying like, uh, you know, I imagine this is a scenario. God told Adam, you can't eat, it. don't eat that. You're not allowed to, you'll die the day you eat of it. And Adam goes to Eve and he doesn't explain the details of it. He just says, you see that? Don't touch it. You're going to die if you touch it. Don't touch it. You can't eat it. And he kind of just blows it out of proportion and he doesn't give like the exact words, and so she's she has a semblance of truth, but with some extra things added onto it, mm-hmm. and then so that's what she repeats to the serpent, and so I think everything in its proper, in its proper place, and I don't, I don't know either way. I don't really have an opinion either way of like sex education in or out, um, but I do believe that I don't want schools. I mean, in me personally, I don't want schools or education to. There, there are some things that I reserve for myself to teach my kids. Um, and I, like the Bible doesn't instruct me to teach my kids about math or English or things like that, but there are some moral things. And I think sex falls into that place that it is my responsibility as a parent to teach that. Now, if kids don't have that, is it the school's job to, to take that place? Oh, I don't think it's ever been the school's job, but I think that, but they per- parents are only, like it is, and it's their responsibility. And, and so I, I, and some, and some, and so they, but I think for me and my kids, it's my job to teach them accurately what the Bible says about these things and not throw my opinions in there at all. Yeah. And not, and not, you know, and just like, this is, this is the parameters and these things and, and this is what it's for. And I see that even with my daughter, cause she, um, she doesn't like to see people kissing on TV. And she's like, she says to me, look, oh, they're they're not married and they're kissing. <laughs> but then she also goes, ew, that's like cute. what if me and Nicole kiss in front of her too. So that's yeah. like a kid thing anyway. Mm-hmm. But I I'm in that place now where she's old enough where I need to explain to her like all of these things, like this thing in itself isn't bad. But this thing in this context is bad, and in this context it's good. And I think they have to be a certain age before you can teach them that level of morality. Because mm-hmm. morality is not um it's what notes to play at what time and what places. It's not like the note in itself isn't bad. Like, but if you just if you just take love for example, and 
you make this the only note that you're going to play continually, it, it becomes a, it becomes bad. Um, that's why I like that love is love thing. Love isn't love. God is love. And that's, that's another thing that bothers me. So it's, it's, you know, people take it and like, oh, this is the only, that's ideology. This is the only thing and we're going to follow this hardcore. And that, no, that's, it, morality is what key to play at what time in the right place. And you know the difference because if you play the wrong key, you don't have to be Mozart to know like that didn't sound right. And that's, so mm-hmm. I, it's my job and I'm getting to that place where that conversation is going to come soon or I'm going to have to teach her, this is what it is. And this is what the Bible says accurately. And, and I, and I teach her that and then I let her, her, her go with that. And, and then if, 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 you know, if she comes to the wrong conclusions, it wasn't because I didn't teach her properly. And that's, that's um, the job I'm called to. That is a tough pill to swallow as a parent, just as a whole, just realizing that you can only do as much as teaching and showing through example and the rest, you do have to let them figure out because we, we all go through our lessons that, that hurt us. Even though we come out more knowledgeable, it doesn't mean we're less hurt. Mm-hmm. And so watching our children and thinking that they're going to have to go through these same things and wanting to go in and physically make it easier for them is just not, it's not an option. No. Like you could try and I think you're just going to hurt and destroy the situation further and further and further because they are individuals. They are not you. Yeah. I realize that my son could look like me, could do a lot of things like me, he's but he's not me. He's well, here's not me. A, so I can't made me think of. force him. And I don't, I don't want to interrupt you, but before I forget it, that's it. Um, who was, who was? Someone came to our church, and they were teaching, um, train up a child in the way you should go, and they will not soon depart from it. And I, as they were teaching it, I looked it up, train up a child in the way they should go, and one of the translations of the word for it was, it was basically, and I'm paraphrasing, um, the word train is to to. I'm pretty sure I'm not wrong on this. Is to is to put the flavor, put a flavor in their mouth. It's it's to it's to give them a flavor. And I was in studying. It's it's almost like saying this: if you put this flavor in your child's mouth when they grow up, they won't depart from that. And you think about it: your favorite type of cooking was what you, it was home cooking, what you grew up with, mm-hmm. and that. And so I, I was thinking about this: like my kids eat sushi. They love sushi. It's their my my daughter's favorite meal. Is sushi. I love that she eats it. Yeah, and and my parents watch them every Friday night when we have that Bible study at our house. And she cons my dad into buying sushi all the time. <laughs> and she tried it. She tried it last night. And my, my mom is a little bit more stern than my dad. And my mom's yeah. like, "No, we're not getting sushi tonight. She's got we're getting pizza, times and I don't care. Yeah, so, I want it to. Yeah. So so, but the thing about it is, she's been eating sushi since she was like one, younger than that. We we would like feed her, and I put yeah. that flavor in her mouth. She will not soon depart from that. Her, she's going to like sushi her whole life at this point, and unless she has a really bad experience with it, and so which is you got to be careful because you could put the flavor of Christianity and then and then ruin that flavor later mm-hmm. by the way you act. But if you train them up or you put the flavor of of real Christianity, biblical Christianity in your kids' palate, they might rebel and go try other things. But at the end of the day, the type of cooking they like is mom's home cooking. And it's, it's, you got to be careful. Cause like you're, you're like a chef and you're feeding them these things. If you're giving them something, but then you're contradicting it, it's going to, it's going to put a bad taste in their mouth. And a lot of kids get a bad taste of Christianity in their mouth from their parents, not training them properly and not being the right example. Um, but if you do it right, they might rebel, but they will come back to what is most comfortable to them, which is what they grew up with flavor wise. And, and hopefully that's, that's genuine biblical Christianity. I hope I'm not the only parent listening to this that isn't just feeling like they're just being bombarded with knowledge bombs. 
There's a lot to take in with that. It's 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 so a, much on here. Like I ha- I like bro. this is a point where I'm like, all right, I want I want to end this podcast and just go sit and think about that. Psychology, like that <laughs> psychology books I've been up. reading. I've been tr- <laughs> I've been trying not to mess my kids up because a lot of it's like, all right. So there's one thing that'll mess a child up if you if something traumatic happens to them. Another thing that messes up a kid is if you don't give them what they need. You can mess up a kid as much or if not more by neglecting certain things in their life than by doing things to them. And so <laughs> it's, and a lot of what you are rubs off on them, whether you like it or not. And a lot of the trauma that you've experienced, because you don't even know it's manifesting itself to your children. Uh, so the way you're acting is from this thing that happened to you back here. That's coming through to them. And a lot of that is in, in a way hereditary. They pick up on it like the way you deal with stress responses and things like that. Your children, so I've been I've been reading this book. I'm like, dang it, man, I'm messing up my kids. Do you know what that book is? Um, well, there's there's a couple of them. So um, the one is uh, Why You Do the Things You Do, which is uh, has to do with relations, healthy relationships, and it's a Christian book. Um, the other one, um, I forget the name of it off the top of my head, but I'll get off the, I forget what it is, but uh, that's one of why, why You Do the Things You Do. That's the big one. Um, and I've just been learning, like, man, I have a responsibility to to give them the right things, and so having kids is a big deal. And a lot of people neglect it, and you, you like not like you can avoid your kids from rebelling, but you can give them every chance, and and having the right tools to deal with the situations. You can't trying to protect them from cir- circumstances is Jordan Peterson talks about. It. It's like a hedged-in wall. It's what the Garden of Eden was, um, and. If, if you do that, you become the serpent in the garden eventually. Mm. Um, so you have to be careful with that. You have to teach them how to, how to deal with circumstances and how to face them and give them the right tools to face them, but don't, don't protect them from them. And, um, and don't throw them to the wolves either. You know, don't, don't send them out into an area where they're not prepared and they get taken out of left field and that was your fault. So there's a level of protection and there's a level of exposure. And as a, as a parent, you're supposed to let your kids be exposed, but also in degrees to certain things. And you control, you should be the one controlling that. A lot of kids just, a lot of parents, especially in culture, our culture, just pawn the raising of their kids off to school and to other things. And you get a lot of directionless children. It's easy. Yeah, it is easy. It's hard to, 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 you know, yeah. I've been trying not to mess my kids up. So you think like, oh, this... You look at someone and you're like, well, you don't have a rough life. You, you had all these things and you go deep down and their parents did not provide psychologically what they needed. And you wonder like, he's like, oh, you have no right to be messed up. You weren't, you know, molested or abused or whatever. And that's not the only thing that messes up a kid. You know, they, they, they look to you for every source of like what's right, what's wrong, what's, what's good, what's okay, what's not okay. They, they only get that from their caregivers. It's a huge responsibility. I think about... That with my kids constantly. Every interaction I have with them, I feel like it's a teachable moment. And I try and enjoy the time with them while doing that. And sometimes I feel like I, I lose some of the joy. But it's like, what's more important? Me just kind of sinking in mindlessly into this moment with them? Or like paying attention to everything that's going on and maybe just choosing my words carefully. Or just being more conscious of the fact that they are as sponge. And that they are soaking up everything you say and do. And that it may be taken differently than you Mm -hmm. mean it. So I try to be very cautious about the way I say things, what I say, my interactions, the way my son sees me deal with my daughter. Mm. I want him to see how different it is than the way I deal with him. Yeah, yeah. Um, So that he understands why I'm not okay with him wanting to play with her 
the way me and him play. Mm. You know, but also showing like there's ways to do it. You know, it's, it's just it's there's a lot. It's there's, a lot, and everybody and has a different not style. Easy, and I don't, uh, and I, and no I, one is right. And like you no. might have that style, you might have that style. It's not going to fit. Kids are different. Every kid's different. Yeah, and I'm messing up every day, and I don't see those mess ups. We're sinners. I'm sure I see some, you know, but I probably scratching the surface. I think that's the point. We're not meant to be perfect, and I have to accept that the way I'm raising my children isn't going to be perfect, but I want to always be looking at what can be uh, bettered or what can be modified. And mitigate the fallout. Like, you don't want to be, like, the source of the a lot of these things. Like, it's to the degree that you can avoid it, and that's where awareness comes in. I'm just okay with... It's almost like fluid parenting. Like, I want to be okay with... Like, I don't want to be like, all right, this is how we're raising our kids. We're going to do this when this happens and this and that. No, I want to be very fluid and like read the room mm. in every situation and know where like my foundation is in life and and build off of that in that moment. So like if my son is bullied, I can easily tell you right now what I'm going to do. But in that moment... Get him in jujitsu. Yeah, right? But in that moment, <laughs> I don't want to have something pre-planned because every situation, it's easy to think about something and think uh and and put place yourself in a position to where you're going to do this or that but when you're in there there's emotions that get added that are very different than what we imagine them to be mm. um but in the moment I, that's why I, like I don't want to have anything preset it's again yeah. it's the same thing with being stuck in an ideology that you make your identity to where then when you're faced with said issue you 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 already know the way you're going to react and whether that's what you internally want to do or not you're going to do that because of your your tribe mm-hmm. you know and sticking mm-hmm. with the tribe mm-hmm. rather than going against it so i think even on a small level as being a parent and not having the answers for everything is a good thing to be just a found have a good foundation in yourself mm-hmm. and that's again i'm always working on myself so that when i am faced with something with my children i can read the room and see where i'm led in that moment because it's always going to be different than what you imagine they teach me a lot about myself just oh dealing my gosh, with them yeah. and 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 God uses that and, and and the Bible has got a lot of instruction on how to deal with children as well and and practical things but there's this the day to day like I, I, they pull out of me some things that are like wow am I really like that yeah I am and I hear <laughs> it I hear it and unfortunately Evie has adopted my whole my daughter has adopted my whole uh, like I think something's wrong with me all the time thing perspective and Ezra is just she's a he's a Vasatoro through and through it's just it's plain to see oh they're they're ex, they're extreme opposites yeah and so it like in, in like Abby she'll get a bump and she'll be like yeah I got this bruise on my elbow and when I move my arm this way it hurts and I don't know and I'm like oh, I'm so sorry that I and how did you learn these things like you are me I've taught you this and, and they, they just they just so they're gonna pick up the good the bad and the ugly but I want the best things that they get from me to be from the Lord and and not from me because anything good in me isn't isn't produced of myself. Uh, I'm I'm a wretch and I know that much. And, and so no, I see that. Yeah, I want to I want to give them the best of what God's given me, and and I know that he's gonna he's gonna honor that. Well, when they were over the other day, it's so funny. David has I don't want to say favorites, but David has been the one that I focus on the most now. It's it's He's basically gone character. through all of them. First was Evie because she was the baby, and then Ezra so was she new. Put poop in your mouth. <laughs> then Ezra was new, so then it was like Ezra for a little bit, and now David. So maybe it's just because I'm just learning to yeah. know, or I'm just getting to know them better as they age and start showing. So I don't want favorites the wrong thing. I'm more focused on David when they're all around. 
And I'm just seeing his little personality come out. And he's such a little butterball, first yeah. of all. Like his belly, he always makes me giggle because his belly is so he's big. He's like a poo bear. I was like, what the heck are they feeding him? But I mean, not in a bad way. Like a lot of carbs. Yeah. He's just, he's such a, yeah, poo bear is perfect. He's just such a lovable little guy, but like very emotional. And like everything's very personal. Mm-hmm. Am I wrong? No, he's okay. totally. So I pick up on that just a little bit of interaction that I have with him. Of just like everything is very personal to him. Uh-huh. Like he can feel very offended. Highly. And, and I'm like, so I constantly like want to just provide like a happy <laughs> surrounding between me and him. But anyway, um, that's totally not what I was trying to get into. But anyway, Evie, it's funny. It was the first time I've seen this where she was upset when they were leaving and she couldn't even say goodbye to me. And I think it was because I turned the show off she was watching, but I don't know. <laughs> but I was so upset. And I was like, I don't know. Did I do something? Did I not say hi to her when I walked in? Like, cause I know she thinks a yeah. lot. She's, she's very quiet and we'll like, um, we'll process things quietly. Whereas Ezra, it's like, whatever he's thinking, I, I know what he's thinking. Yeah. Cause he's telling me and explaining to me over and over. <laughs> and David, it's all over his face and Evie is very internal. You have to pull it, mm-hmm. which, you know, most women are like, but, as a little kid, I think it's just more of a personality thing. So anyway, I, I found myself thinking like even the next day, like of what I might've done or if it even had anything to do with me or she was just emotional uh, or maybe she's just mad that I turned the show off because they had to go. I don't know. But it's just, uh, the reason I brought that up though is just how different kids are. It's, it's really true. I thought my children were going to be very similar and they are nothing alike. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Harley is two years younger than Thatcher and she is more feisty and could probably fight him and take him on. And as you know, most kids, his age, she, I feel like she can hold her own at two years old where Thatcher at that age would have had no interest in being confrontational at all. Maybe mm. that's because they're siblings now and she's the smaller one and has to fight for a lot of things. I don't know, but I think it's more so just that's who she is. It's she is a feisty fighter will on principle alone of just like not wanting to back down from her original thought, just will fight and cause herself so much more problems just to s- say she did it her way. Do you think that to you? Yes. Yeah. And you oh, think Patrick's more like Jenny? Yeah. That's, that's usually how it goes. The, the daughter picks up the, the father and the, the son, the mother. But I see in that the problem she's going to, she's going to learn the hard way. Over and yeah. over and over, and I feel bad. I'm like, I don't know what to do to break that. Mm-hmm. But the the thing is, anything that anybody did to break that in me made me dig my heels deeper yeah. in that very issue. So it's like, I don't know what to do. I just I just have to keep loving her, and I don't know, just dealing with it as it comes. You gotta de- <laughs> there's no there's no cookie cutter way, and you're gonna have to figure yeah. it out. Like you said, yeah. uh, but. I mean, having kids is great, though. I It's funny. I have, you know, Bill, right? Morrow. So he has um, his first child now, his son. And it's so funny listening to him talk. Because oh, he's like, he was joking the other day, but we were all playing video games or something. And he's like, I don't know why you guys told me this was going to be fun. And he's like, this is horrible. This is terrible. <laughs> and I'm like, no, like, you don't get it. This is the bad part. Yeah. This You're in the bad part. Nobody can tell you about that How yet. How old's the baby? Six months, maybe? Oh, yeah, he's still in the bad part. I'm like, yeah, there's nothing fun about that. You're literally just helping something that constantly trying to die. You're trying to fight <laughs> fight that, right? Yes. Um, I feel like that's the first year of raising a child is just imagine you have something in your home that is constantly trying to kill itself. Not intentionally, but just everything it's doing is like, that's going to kill you. And you're constantly fighting that. There's a spiritual parallel there, for sure. Um, so... You know, somebody was just, I think it might have been, I hate mentioning Rogan so much on this podcast, because, anyway, 
but I listened to them, so it's it's influential. Uh, but they were talking about how different human beings are, like uh, versus animals, and saying that I, th- I think we are the one of the longest um, beings uh, as far as like the the forming period in in the mm-hmm. womb mm-hmm. or in the egg or whatever animal we're talking about. Nine months, right? Is is the the going rate? Except for an elephant, for making a, they making go. A they're pregnant for like a year. Really? I think I it's an elephant. That. So I know we're one of the high. I'm not saying the highest, but yeah. we are one of the longest. Uh, it takes a lo- one of the longest times for that. But also, he was saying horses. I think they brought up elephant before because he's mentioned too. this a bunch. But when that animal is horses. born, it's it's ready. It's ready. Yeah. It gets up. It learns to walk within like that day and builds up its muscle and is immediately taught. Like started to teach it like you, this is what we do we eat but just by watching it picks up on those things and and really all the parent has to do is defend that that um baby from things that want to kill it not from it trying to kill itself you know what i mean like mm-hmm. it's gonna make mistakes but i mean they were talking about how long it takes for us to be born and then after we're born it takes years many years for us to be able to do things on our own or even be somewhat sustainable. I mean, you look at just the first year or two years of a, of a baby. It's like they little, or maybe a year. There's like nothing they could do on their own. Mm-hmm. Nothing. They're just, I mean, they can't even hold their head up. Yeah. Um, but it's just, it's so interesting that we are as far along in the, in the world or as cognitive or as, as self-aware and as intelligent as we are. And yet our beginning is so weak. Like, mm. I don't know if it's just because it takes more time to develop something like us. Like I'm thinking beyond like just the fact that I believe God made us. I'm thinking like what about us is different. And I see that as a different thing. Like the amount of time it takes to become who we are. Is it because of like, there's that, as that, um, does that directly affect the advancement that we have against the rest of the animal kingdom? Yeah. Like, is it because of the long developmental stage? And we were never meant to die in the original creation. Know. So we imagine what we would have been if we if we if we could live forever. And and our our final stage of development is greater than the angels, whatever that is going to be like. Wait, you say that again. Our final our, our final stage of development is going to be greater than the angels, because uh, we're still just. Uh, what was it? Um, uh, it was a quote. I forget. It was something like. Um, it was talking about like everybody who lives dies, but either way, um, the, the being planted here on earth as like a seed, we're 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 in the we're in we're still in the pupil stage of what we're gonna be. C.S. Lewis puts it like if if I if I, if I saw what you're gonna look like in eternity, I'd be tempted to fall down and worship you. Hmm. And and if I yeah. saw someone who's going you know in a direction for hell, if I saw what they're gonna look like in eternity, I it would be the most horrifying thing I could ever imagine. Um, which is who said that. C.S. Lewis talks about that in the, his book, The Weight of Glory. I love his writing style. Yes. It's different. I, I, do, I do enjoy it. Every book has got a little something different to the style, and it takes me a bit to get into it. Not into it, but like to understand, again, because his writing is so different. I don't know how to explain it, because I don't read enough to be like, oh, this, it's like this writer, it's that writer. He's but got some, a British accent, that's why. It, maybe I, have to li- I have to read his book in a British accent to really feel the full, like... Yeah, experience. so sometimes when you're reading his books too, there's words where I'm like, what the heck does that yeah. word mean? But it's, it's a 1940s British accent. Yeah, so like I even had to read a few times and I wound up figuring it out, but it was like just talking about somebody standing in a queue. I was like, what the heck is a queue? I'm trying to picture this thing. I was like, oh yeah, that's what they call a line. Oh, yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But just a lot of little things like that. Is that my dog? Yeah. <laughs> oh, he's um, howling with the fire fire department's okay. alarm. <laughs> he's a, uh, he just notched up in my book as a dog. 
I too, I saw a dog playing the piano on Instagram the other day. It kept it had both hind legs up and was slapping the keys and then matching the the, uh-huh. the key tone. And this Dogs woman like smart. snuck up on her dog and was filming him around a corner. Oh, he was doing it alone, alone playing yeah. the piano, and just like doing it for a while. Like the video is longer than I would expect for something like that. My dog poops on command. No way. I take him outside, and he he's so stubborn in the winter. He's cold, so he won't go to the bathroom unless you tell him to. And he'll just do it in the house. I'll let him out. He'll stand at the door, look at me. I'll let him back in, and I'll go poop in the back room. And so I go out there. I say, Jack, Jack, go pee potty. And he'll look at me and go and pee. You know what? Baby used to do that. It, it, and they she know. Wouldn't, knows she up. wouldn't necessarily go in the house, but she would just stand out there and maybe pee and then just stare at me. And I would say, go potties. And then she would know, all right, I can go poop. So I can, I can, I can command each one. So I, I'll tell him, Jack, go poo potty. And he'll look at me, walk around, and poop. And, and, and I can, I, it, it, I, I didn't train him this way. He just knows it instinctively. I guess I don't know, but, I, but I have to make him do both, and I have to see it. Or, or he'll, he'll, he's so lazy and stubborn that he'll, he'll come back in. And... So more than a lazy thing, I don't know how true this is, but I heard that like, so you know, people always joke about like when a dog's pooping, like how they look at you. It's like so uncomfortable. I heard it explained that it's not that they're uncomfortable, but they're in their most vulnerable stage and that, that they look they... at you to like find comfort. Yeah. You're because... watching their back. Yeah. yeah. And I, so I actually have taken that to heart. And if my, if I see my dogs pooping, I will open the door and I will make eye I contact. I got your back, bro. I will stand there and <laughs> stare him right back in the eyes while he's squatting and dropping poops. And this is the it's way you not comfort your dog. Yeah, just like we're a team. Like he's my he's my responsibility. And so if he's not feeling comfortable, I got you, bro. Like I feel comfy when I poop. <laughs> like I want him to feel that. <laughs> so I feel like that's my that's my that's my boy. It's another level. Yeah. Hey, you gotta you know do what you gotta do. Where is this podcast going? <sighs> Dogs pooping. Jeez, dude. So ministry. What's some of the stuff you're involved in now? You got a lot. The and I'm asking you and I'm answering. As far as I know, you're doing the missing piece, which is you're not doing that? Oh, did that did somebody else take that or I guess explain? Could have changed know. a lot of things. Um, oh, yeah. Which is it was good and 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 tr- it was good and it was a trial at the same time. I've always been historically involved in maybe too much at one time. There was a there was a period of time where I was teaching like five or six Bible studies a week, different ones. And and so the kind of hit the reset. Uh, recently, well, first I was going to Calvary Philly for prayer night every Sunday night for a while, and uh, got some direction in that. And one was to. We're talking pre-COVID. No, this was after. Okay. Um, and it was the one thing was to start the young adults group again because I ran that for a long time at the church. So did everything stop with COVID? Yeah. Yeah, it was crazy. We didn't know what was going on in the beginning, so yeah, it was yeah, just I yeah. That. I got caught up in it too, which I won't happen again. But it did for the beginning for me. It was kind of like this, like, uh, and there was the longest time I had been out of fellowship ever. It was very bad. So it, it, I learned a lesson there. But afterwards, we started the uh, first. It was Friday nights, the young adults, which turned into um more of like a young spirited adults home fellowship because there were people there's this weird age group and not weird age group but this is different age group of people who are like 30s and up that maybe are married without kids single um that they don't really have like their own specific thing for them and they've been coming to the friday night too so friday night we have we, we call it connect it's just a home fellowship it's open to all age groups 
which is a really cool dynamic, and it's been awesome. I'm going through the book of Acts right now, inductively. So I studied inductively and, and teach, and then uh, that, so that's like the primary, and then COVID uh, knocked out the children's ministry to a degree where like we only had Sunday school first service for for the kids, and we still only have it for first service. We don't have it second, and so I've been. I was praying for a while, what's one way that I can bless the body of believers? I want to bless the church. How can I do it? And um, God laid on my heart to start up the Wednesday night because I hadn't, there's no, there was no youth group or anything on Wednesday nights. And all the helpers kind of like, COVID did weird things, especially at the church. It was just like, it just weeded out a lot of different stuff and people came and go, went and it's like a full turnover of the church. It was like, there's whole new faces and it, so so I'm like it seemed to have provided an excuse for people to do things that they didn't want to that they wouldn't do openly didn't want to openly do yeah it and, made and, an, ex- and, an, right. an exit excuse and that's cool and and so but so I'm called there I'm I'm called there and I and and I can't get away if I wanted to like I, God's called me there so I'm like all right I see the problems every church has problems but I want to be part of a solution here I want to bless the body so Wednesday nights was struggling for a while um and just you know, people, you, people can't come because they don't have to don't want to put their kids and all. And so, I've learned recently you can't minister to people if you're not willing to minister to their kids. And it's a great avenue to like bless people. So, God put it on my heart and I pro- approached Harry. I want to start Wednesday nights again. I'm willing to throw myself to the wolves, as yeah. it were, and just take that to bless the church. My goal is to see people back on Wednesday nights in fellowship. And I've I've learned this: people won't serve. You need to be in fellowship first. You're not going to serve if you don't know anybody. So you know people, and then you serve together. And there's like there's this element of fellowship and serving together. So I want to I want to see people in fellowship, and then we'll get more servants. If we can produce an atmosphere of fellowship at the church, then we can get more servants, and then we can bless more people, and, and it'll it'll grow. So we started Wednesday nights. Um, we got a group. Uh, greatly enough, a lot of people that come on Friday night are serving, and that's another thing that I've had a vision of. Like I want to see. Yeah, we have this Bible study. It's great. We have a great time. But what are we doing? So we're a lot of us are serving Wednesday nights together. That's cool. Which is really cool. And which is like just put the kids in the room and and just do what we're gonna do for an hour. And hopefully we can get their parents back out. So we do one I do Friday night with the with the Bible study, the home fellowship, and then Wednesday nights is the kids' club. And I also started doing Sunday school again. So um I teach forget the age group, but it's um it's fifth and sixth graders on, uh, so it's a every three month rotation. I teach Sunday school, and I also, uh, so I was going to Calvary Philly for the prayer meeting for a while, and I guess I was I was bringing a group of people up there, whoever would come, and then Jerry was like, "Well, what if I ask Harry if we start the prayer meeting on Sunday nights at the church?" And I was like, "Yes, I would love. I love Calvary Philly. I love going up there. Their prayer meetings are awesome." But um, if I have an opportunity to bless the body at Calvary South Jersey, I want to do that. And I want to, I want to pray together with those that are of my own company. We just studied mm-hmm. Acts chapter 4. We were studying last night that when they were beaten, or that when they were threatened by the Pharisees, they left and went to those of their own company, and they got right into a prayer meeting centered around Scripture, Psalm 2. So my own company, I'd, I'd like to pray together with my own company and, and, and pray for the needs and the blessings. So we started the, every Sunday night at... Six o'clock from six to seven, we just pray directive prayer. Like, 
we pray all together on this topic, then we move to this topic, we pray, we read the scripture, we pray specifically for this thing, and an hour goes by, you think like the podcast flies by, an hour, an hour of prayer like that goes in a second. Oh, I've experienced that, yeah. What, I remember when Harry was doing his discipleship program, and one of my favorites, because I was like, every night, I was so afraid of becoming an addict again. Yeah. And it was, it took me years to realize that I wasn't an addict. I was just broken and filling that void. Mm-hmm. So I was so afraid of the drug itself rather than dealing with it. But it coincidentally facing or, or putting myself constantly in fellowship and in prayer and Bible studies, I did work on those things. And I learned that I was never an addict to the drug. I was an addict to escaping. Mm. And so anyway, that's a different subject, but, um, Man, did it fly by the one, I forget what night it was, but it was uh, like a prayer meeting that in his discipleship house. Mm-hmm. Were you, did you live there? Were you part of that? I forget. Yeah, I was right before that, but yeah, I remember it. In that house. Um, I lived at that house for two years, but it was when right. we had the school ministry. You and Glenn were there. Yeah, Glenn's my roommate. I would love to have the both of you out here. I love I Glenn. Need, yeah. I have a deep love for him. Uh, dude. He used to come in and like have hour-long conversations with me in the middle of the night. I remember zero of it. I do. I, me and Nicole have those experiences all the time. I could tell you a million stories about like things I do and say in the middle of the night. <laughs> and um, Glenn was the first one that like, encountered that with me. Uh, yeah, me and him have some deep uh, relationship like, That's bonds. That's great, though. Yeah, he's, there's something special about him, and I don't think his story's anywhere near finished. No, no, but yeah, so. But anyway... Um, yeah, and I found that just over the past like year, uh, maybe the past two years, our relationship has gotten better. Like where maybe it was him. I don't know what part I really played. Maybe it was just him that was able to open back up into like our family mm. and have that re- and realize, oh, I can disagree with them ideology wise, or you know, have different faith beliefs than them and, and still have a relationship with them. Yeah, it's not everything that you are. And, yes, yeah. and that's been great. And I don't know what part I played, both negative and positive in that, but I'm glad that we're at the place we're at. Me too. Um, I love Glenn. I, yeah. I like to spend time with him as much as I can. Dude, I love it. I, I, I like want to move to New York. Part Every time me, I go up there, I think that. I want to have a place in his neighborhood yep. just to be around them more. But, I love him. We're talking anyway. about prayer. Um, so so the, the ministries is See, Friday, night, Friday night, um, which is it's just like I look forward to that so much. Uh, the Wednesday night kids club, which I, I, I've i found I really have a heart for children's ministry. I love teaching kids the Bible. And uh, then the Sunday night prayer is like, and the, those are the things I'm doing right, right now at the church. Any way I can bless. And then we have things, like I have visions. Like I want to see these kids get together and hang out outside of um, Wednesday and Sunday. Like I want them to be friends and I want to facilitate that. So we're going to do like family barbecues. I want to have like their parents get together, be friends and produce like my heart and my vision is to produce an atmosphere. Yeah. So like I'll get all our helpers and we'll watch your kids and you guys hang out. Let's have a barbecue. We'll, we'll we'll keep an eye on your kids. Then we have the bounce house. We we just put in an event form for um, a kids movie night, and we're we're gonna do a, a a date night. We're gonna do it the day before Mother's Day. So it's gonna be like this Saturday before Mother's Day. Give us all of your kids for three hours. We will watch them and we'll take care of them. And you can go out and just or if you just your single mom or whatever, just come drop them off and hang out and try to produce this like. This, so we're gonna get the bounce house. We're gonna we we're trying to figure out what movie we're gonna do. Prince of Egypt. We're gonna have like stations. We're gonna like do like costumes and Legos. Dude, it's I gonna be like this. my living room. I'm not gonna yeah. organize things for kids. 
It's just going to be like, hey, if you guys want to go play with costumes, it's over there. If you want to go on the bounce house, if you want to play with Legos, and then we're going to have this movie and just, you know, and, and I'm seeing if, if I want to bring an atmosphere of fellowship back to the portion of the body that I serve at, which is Calvary, South Jersey, then you got to minister to people's kids. And that that part of our body has been hurting for a while. Cause I know, cause I experienced it because the children's ministry has been hurting and lack of servants. But if we start to get people in fellowship, they're going to want to serve together. And we will have a plethora of children's ministry because the parents will like, I bring my kids on Wednesday night. It's real easy for me to serve on Wednesday night because my kids are right there with me. Yeah. And that's, I, that's my ministry style. What I do, we all do. I do ministry together. I don't neglect my family. I look at my family as, as we're one unit. We're one body. And if I'm not taking care of my body, I can't physically serve God. So I take care of my family so that we can, we serve God. We serve God. We do it together in every aspect. I don't, I don't neglect them as much as I can avoid. I don't neglect them for ministry. We How do all, they feel about it? They, more so Evie, I guess she's the They're oldest, just in it. So. They, they live in, in, the, in the nursery at the church. They mm-hmm. live at the, and like, we'll be at the church and we'll go and I'll find them. They're just sitting on the couch in the nursery watching um, YouTube videos. Like, and, you know, it's kind of a pro- issue because we got to like make sure they're watching the right videos. But Dude, YouTube is sneaky. It Even is YouTube sneaky. YouTube kids is sneaky. It is sneaky. But so they, they just, they kind of float and they do their thing. And everybody's got a different style on that. But I, um, like, I can't. Me and Nicole do ministry together. She's in is like she's in the worship team as much as that's a new thing that I've been doing worship. It's been a long, long desire in my heart to do that. And I Friday nights I lead worship. Well, Nicole really leads it, and I sing along with her. But I play the guitar. And just recently, so a heart one thing I wanted like a goal of mine spiritually is I would love to lead worship on a Sunday with with her singing next. She has to be next to me because I can't like I. I can sing enough, but I go outside of like I'm. I'm not controlled, so her voice next to me keeps me where I need to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I kind of follow along with that. But we've been practicing that. So she, she actually, um, she blessed me, and she didn't know it. She called me her worship buddy the other day, nice. which for her is a really big deal because for the longest time I couldn't get her to sing in my presence because she told me I only sing for God. So <laughs> my next, my next ministry that I want to be involved in yeah. is is the worship. Do you sing? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, I do. I'm I, getting better. I've heard you, but I'm like, I don't know if you feel comfortable to like lead a worship. I know yeah. you, you sing. I'm getting there. Um, yeah. I'm getting better. I, 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 found my, I found my range. And so that, that is, I think it's important that you're not going to be able to sing everything all the time in every way. But there is this one niche where I can sing, and it's like key of E or G, uh, half step tuned down and on the guitar, which I don't really know what that means, but I know my voice fits there. I, I know what you're talking about a little bit because I found that I can sing. I'm not a good singer, but some songs I would sing and I'm like, well, that actually sounded all right. Yeah. And then I was like searching, I'm like, what is that? And I realized that some people who we view as people that can sing have a wide range yeah. of different notes that they can hit and pitches and it sounds really good. And then you can work on that. Um, but I think just nat and maybe I'm totally wrong, but it seems like naturally some people have wider ranges than others and then they could work on that. And yeah. those are the people that we view as singers, but all of us can sing within our range. And you can cultivate that if you don't have good. it. good. And yeah, I found that I just have to alter certain songs or things and just sing them my own way yeah. or just find these little weird songs. And, and I'm not I don't the best, it- yeah. but I, I can do it enough where people, like on Wednesday nights with the kids. Yeah. I just, I'm so blessed. Recently, we just did uh, The Great I Am. And so we do one song a month, and we repeat that song every Wednesday. 
And so I bring my guitar and we do worship. And this this Wednesday, these kids were singing and they asked me, actually asked me to play the song again at the end. And I was like, oh, yes. that's awesome. And this Sunday, they're going to bring like tambourines and drums. And oh, that's fun. one girl brought her guitar. Yeah. Like, so uh, when I do Sunday school, like, because that's another thing that's lacking is children's worship. And I, I don't treat kids like kids. We don't play Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. I just pick a song that like I know they can follow along with that isn't too wordy. But it's a song that you would sing on Sunday, like in the sanctuary, and I teach them that, and then we sing together, and and they like it. They they actually respect the fact that you're you're like you're you're playing good songs for them. Like there's this pandemic of Sunday school yeah. worship leaders that just play like like this little light of mine, which is cool for like two year olds, yeah. but like the older kids are capable of like actually worshiping if if you lead them in that. Yeah, I don't think we give cre- credit enough to kids. No, no, I I teach them. I teach them like I would teach an adult, but, but, but that's, there's a, there's a Jewish aspect to that, uh, or like a Jewish cultural aspect to that, where, uh, from what I understand, the Jewish people don't teach their, they, they, they don't have like a children's Bible or my yeah, first yeah, yeah. Bible. They start teaching them now. I, I think it's okay to have a children's Bible. Like yeah. I love the way my Thatcher's Bible goes and it teaches the stories, but it's it's too advanced. And I love the fact that as he gets older, we'll continue to read these stories and we'll add layers to it until mm-hmm. he can read like the actual straight context. I put them right next to each other. So I'll do like the children's Bible with the actual Bible and I'll kind of blend them with the kid. They, so like I teach them like adults, but I also, I'm not, I'm not foolish enough to think like, oh, I'm going to teach them this deep theological thing and they understand it. Like I get on their level, mm. but I don't pull punches. But that's what I'm saying. Like you don't, I think like the gap between straight from the source and and these children Bibles is probably a much smaller gap than we view it. It mm-hmm. doesn't have to be stretched out until they're like much older. Like they could start getting things a lot sooner and doing them side by side, like you're saying, is probably the best way to do it. Like I'll do Thatcher's Bible and it's my favorite book for him to pick for me to read from. Most, mostly we're reading the story of Goliath and mm-hmm. I always try and go before and after that because I love everything that surrounds it. I feel like that's like a height, but there's everything before and after is my favorite parts. So anyway, I'll try and read to him and then he always is asking questions. So I'll answer them as the deeper portion of what's in the scripture. And it's like, there is so much to answer because those books leave so much to question. And when he questions, I'm like, there's so much source to answer this. And he can like handle I have an, it. Yeah. And he can handle it and I'll give it to him in different pieces. And sometimes they're heavier and I'll, I'll feel him out mm-hmm. on what he can understand. And he's always able to, or seemingly always able to understand more than what I would give him credit for. Yeah. We had this moment the other day where I was, and I don't do it every night, but I like to teach the kids, my kids, the Bible. And we, so we'll go through the children's Bible and then I'll read the portion from the actual Bible, if it's leaving things out that I know are there. And it's talking about how Jesus paid our price with his blood. And my son goes, how did he pay with his blood? And I was like, well, it's a good question. Well, let me explain this to you. And so I said, well, um, our most precious possession is our life. And I was explaining this to my, to my four-year-old son. And I said, well, if <laughs> this is how I, this is my style. I said, if someone put a gun to my head right now and said, I'm going to kill you unless you give me everything you own. And his eyes are big and wide at that moment. And I said, I would give them everything I own for my life because my life is my most precious possession. And, and that's, and then he, Satan talks about that with Job. He talks flesh for flesh. A man will give everything he has for his life. Satan knows as much. And I said, so our life is our most precious possession that we have. It's greater than any amount of money that we have. The Bible teaches us that the, our life is in our blood and so I took him to verses. I went to First Peter, and it talks about how we were redeemed 
not with our aimless conduct or traditions received from our fathers or gold, silver, precious metals, but with the precious blood of Christ. And I explained that like Jesus bought us with his blood and I think he got it. And it was just this moment in his mind, like, oh yeah, Jesus paid for me with his life. And mm. like, those are little moments with, with the kids that they can handle. You want to really get a kid's attention? Start talking about revelation. The children love it. Uh, I, you know what? Actually, I sometimes I, I am guilty of like going too far with them about what they can and cannot handle because I was kids brought they, they brought it up about um, revelation and we start talking about like our new heaven, new earth, and our new bodies. And I was talking to them about the rapture. This is my Sunday school class. This is seven, this is uh, fifth and sixth grade kids. And one of the parents told me that that, that like that week. Um, a church that uh, her daughter came in the middle of the night crying because she she was afraid that she was going to miss the rapture. <laughs> and she said, Brian, Mr. Brian, tell us about the rapture. And, she, and I was like, I'm so sorry. I thought I explained how to make the rapture. And I did. I like, I told them about like being saved and all that mm-hmm. stuff. And because they, they brought it up and they wanted to know. So I explained it to them. And she was like, no, no, it was really good. Cause we got to pray with her and like, reassure her of her salvation and this girl's like how she she's like 11 10 or 11 and she was having real deep thoughts about am i saved thinking about mm. the rapture and i remember having those thoughts as a kid too and i was like i don't want to i, yeah, I didn't, i'm sorry thing. i was like i'm sorry to mean the trauma that she's like no no i'm really glad you did that and and it really worked out well so I was like, wait a minute. Uh, next time I ex- next time I bring these topics up, I got to be careful well, that goes not to, to freak the, them out. Yeah, the dangers of like, are we helping or hurting when we're doing things, yeah. regardless of our intentions? Because there's somebody that's popping in my mind right now where they didn't go to their parent with that fear. They internalized it, yeah. it, and now it's one of their things that they. It's like the first thing they think of when they when they think of like why they don't follow the faith anymore. Yeah, yeah. yeah you don't want to make people kids afraid of hell. Yeah. And that's, well, that's what it yeah. came to. It was like very much like they talked about how their father was very much about like this is sinful, that's sinful, and like it separate. And they had this guilt yeah. as a child of everything they were doing, and that just accumulated everything that they were doing that they viewed as sinful. It was like this weight upon a child that that's not the point. Yeah. And I don't. I know the. I know the father, and I know the the child, and I know the intent of both, and I love them both. But seeing that makes me because I know them both and know their intent and see the outcome. Yeah, it's like another level added to like every interaction I have with my kids. Like my it kids makes are me aware think of about hell, that stuff, but I don't preach it to them, and I don't use it as like a, a tool to scare them. My um, kids probably know almost nothing about it. You know what's an, you know what's another thing that's really disturbs me and upsets me about the church. B- very few people understand what our future is. And uh, here's one thing: Do you know? And I'm sure you do, but I, I, I'm going to throw in a bite. Do you know that you, people that go to hell are going to spend eternity in a physical body? There is a con- there is a resurrection hell body that they will spend eternity in. It's on airplane mode. Is that my for alarm. something it's My three o'clock alarm. Is that? Do you have to go or something? Or? No, it's just oh. the third hour. It's the, it's the hour of prayer. It's 3 o'clock. Oh, nice. The sun is at its highest. At 9, 12, and 3. My really? alarms go off to remind me to pray. That's good. I don't always do it, but it just reminds me to do it. So, physical, uh, physical body and health. Oh, yeah. So, um, I don't know what you're asking. So do you know, did you know as, that? I think I know exactly. I think I did. Okay. I, no, what I'm, what you're saying is like it's a not going to be like peop- a spirit. A lot. Like, what, no, what no. else do people so think? There's, there's a people think that well one well a lot of people think you die and you go to heaven you spend eternity in heaven that's wrong, um, and a lot of people think that you're a spirit for all of eternity, um, which is wrong, 
And pe- people think that hell is a spiritual place, which is also wrong. Okay, so I'm aware that the Bible speaks about a new body that we receive, whether okay. we are in heaven or hell. When we are before God, we are in that new in a body. body we re- right. Yes. But there's a specific resurrection body unto life, and there's a specific resurrection body unto condemnation, and they're two different things, actually. Now that I, I'm not aware of. Now, is that biblically, or does it yeah, allude? No, no or it's, what? The, it's the... So the first resurrection is unto life, and the second is unto condemnation. And so... Um, that that form that people are resurrected in um, unto condemnation, the dead, because Jesus was resurrected out, out from the dead, or of the dead, ek necron, away from the dead, and we participate, his resurrection is ours, so we're part of that, um, we will be part of that first resurrection. The second is the dead being resurrected, the dead are resurrected into unto condemnation, and so there is a physical, like, so here's another thing, you so do you believe that physical body has different attributes? Yeah, than, whatever yeah. it's going to look like. If if our body looks like Christ and it's designed for eternity, what does the body of res- of condemnation look like? Um, and what's I mean, it designed for? Nobody knows, but I would imagine it's designed for no connection. It's it's. it's I think horrific... it's more of like I think it's more of a lacking than an extra. I, I think I've, I, yeah, it's. I it, would just see no knows? bridge to communicate with it's God. Scary. It's 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 so it's 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 a it's a dead resurrected body. It's it's a scary it's a scary thing. You can think about us now, like even whether you're a Christian or not, like or Hindu or whatever Muslim, we we all can view it and give it different names, but we all have this connection to something greater than us, yeah. whether you're fighting it or not, and we find it in different things. At least you know discussed. it's even at least you know it's dead, but it's still there. Yes. So I when discussing that, I've always envisioned the body of somebody in hell as just something somewhat like us now, yeah. but I just, I remove any sense of like something bigger than us. Mm-hmm. It's like, whether we want it or not, that does give us hope and it does give us something to fight towards or to give us some sort of meaning. It's almost like an eternity without the meaning. Well, it's, it's not only that, it's an eternity and a separation. knowing that you, what you've, what you've lost. Cause there's this rejection aspect of hell that, that is like, depart from me for I never knew you. But so the reason I brought it up is because in teaching kids these things, you have to be accurate about it. Or if you're not, you're going to produce this, this fear and desire, this fear in their heart. So like I, I teach my kids about these things, but I teach it biblically accurate and in a way that they can understand not to scare them. And, and I don't go too much in it. So like, here's another thing Christians do that like, I don't agree with. I, in my personal opinion, I don't think you can tell somebody that they're going to hell. Like that guy on the corner saying, oh, you're going to hell. I don't, in my, and again, this is a personal opinion, I don't think you have the right to do that. And the reason for that is because nobody's in hell yet. I mean, timeline-wise, nobody's there. Um, people are in the grave, Sheol, uh, but they're not in Gehenna. They're two, they're two different places. And if, I'm t- if, I, if I look at you and I say, you're going to hell, what I'm saying is that you're going to go to the rest of your life in a total rejection of, your, of God as Savior, and you're going to die in your sins and then you're going to be resurrected and cast into hell. Um, and I am presuming that that's going to be the case in your life. I don't, how do I know that? If you looked at me 12 years ago and you looked at my life by external circumstances, you could say, you would have said, oh, that guy's going to hell. But you had no idea what God was going to do in, in my life at that, you know, in the future. So I'm presuming to know the future, your future, which I can't say. But what I can tell you is that if you continue in this lifestyle, in this rejection of, of God, then it will send you to hell. That's what you can say to somebody, but you can't tell them they're, they're going to, they're, they're, that I can't say you are going to hell. Um, 
because I don't know what God will do. But uh, so growing up, my when my father divorced my mother. He had moved in and married this woman Paula, um, who I loved growing up. She was fun. She introduced me to rock and roll, the the, the sides of hippies that I still like today, mm-hmm. which is not many as I'm getting older. Um, but just music and love, and there was just something beautiful about her spirit and very free. I was always attracted to that. Um, anyway, um, it's sad because I got very close with her children, and like me and her uh, one son, Frankie, even looked very similar to where we would always I think joke. I met Frankie that, once. Yeah, we would always joke, but also kind of believe that um, his father wasn't actually his father and that my dad was his dad because the similarity in the way we looked was ridiculous. He looked nothing like his father looked identical to me. Hmm. People thought we were brothers before they even knew we were Pretty sure I met him. I, I, thought that's, I thought that when I saw him. I still follow him on Instagram now and I see like where he's at and I'm, I'm so happy for him. Like he's, he's married now and we're not in touch. Uh, but anyway, I'll never forget. And I've thought about this a lot over my life. Whenever somebody brings up about telling somebody they're going to hell. When we all went to a beach trip as kids, um, usually, you know, Paul and my dad would give us like 20 bucks. Usually we get like 40 bucks a day to go and just do whatever and just run amok and try not to get arrested and be idiots. But I remember the one time um, Paula and, and Frankie had been walking on the beach or walking the boardwalk together and it was just them and they walked by this church in Wildwood. And as an adult now looking, I think that's really cool that they had the church, but one thing, they, they didn't have a positive experience. Their experience was they walked up and before you enter into the church, um, which again, it's, you got like snow cones, funnel cakes, and clowns and face painting. And then there's this church in the middle that's got like no wall on the outside. It's completely open. You can go in and there's a man preaching or they're singing or whatever. And when it's open, but before you get to like, when you get there right in the beginning of the doorway is this like podium that has, um, like a, a thing on it where you could press different buttons. It asks you a question, then you press the button yes or no. Mm-hmm. And if you press them all, it lights up heaven or hell at the bottom. Uh, and it asks you basically like the thing, man, uh, do you lie? Do you th- so if you say yes to any of them, the final answer is, is hell. Mm-hmm. If you don't answer about being born again kind of thing. Anyway, so the way he answered it, it told him he's going to hell. And I remember him getting very, from what I was told, he got very emotional and told his mom, like, that this thing said he's going to hell. And as a kid, that's like a point where, like, up. yeah, but he yeah. didn't know, like, anything about this. So, like, it was his first encounter, and then his mom's reaction to it probably fed into his negative reaction because she got mad and started screaming and yelling at them. And, like, they got into, like, a big argument there. Uh-huh. Like, how dare you tell my child they're going to hell? Like, this is a child. Anyway, so I kind of get it, but they held on to that for years. Yeah. Years as adult, like it would always get referenced whenever the conversation came up of like just this negative thing of like, and you didn't, you can't just tell somebody something like that if you don't know the person and aren't on that level to have that conversation. Like that has to come up organically and not with an agenda. You can't, you can't go into a conversation pretending that you're there for their heart when your ultimate agenda is to tell them that they're going to hell and give them an ultimatum, you have to actually go in with the intent of getting to know this person and having an organic conversation with them. And if that comes up, which I believe it, it will, um, then you can face that and talk to them, but you can't make that an agenda. There's, there's this thing I've heard once and it was, I like it. It's, it's, there's disagreement of fact and disagreement of attitude. 
And there can be an atheist on the corner telling people that God doesn't exist in a very polite manner. And I totally disagree with what he's saying, but I agree with the way he's saying it. And then there's opposite. There's a guy saying that, you know, like these sins will send you to hell and preaching it in a way that I disagree with. Um, but maybe the facts are right, but the, the attitude is totally wrong. And like, I get that approach. Like, have you broken this commandment? Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, okay. So you're going to hell. Here's another thing that people don't, I don't, and this again, it's borderline like opinion, but um, the, the base, no, this is, I think this is doctrine. This is, the baseline is hell. Like that's, that's the, that's the bait. Like that's, that the exception is salvation. Everybody's going to hell. If, if not for God intervening, that's, that's the, that's like, we're all condemned already. We're already, already all condemned. Yeah. And so, I mean, you, you could say, yeah, you're going to hell in that aspect, but this God factor is that God, you don't know what God's going to do in somebody's life. And I can't say that looking at you. I have no idea. There's a lot of people living like heaven, going to hell. There's a lot of people living like hell that are going to go to heaven because the end is going to like really show these things for what they are. Mm-hmm. But um, that we're all condemned already. So the the the, the exception is salvation. And, the, and people get upset with the sovereignty, free will argument. It's like, well... Is God? Is it wrong for God to show mercy to one and not the other? Well, He has the He can choose. But and then that I'm not want to get it. I don't want to get it, go deep into that because I think every time we talk about sovereignty and free will, we're mocked by angels and demons. They they laugh at us, and so I don't like to talk too much into that because I'm talking as a human and I'm a fool. And so if I go too much into things that belong to God, I I I look foolish. And like I always say, we're, I'm, I'm, when we speak of these things, we're mocked by angels and demons. They laugh at us and they look at us. The angels are like they're cute, and demons are like you're total you're total fool, and I'm gonna get fool, and I'm gonna use that against you. But so I don't go too far. But um, baseline is hell. Exception is salvation, and it's mercy. Mercy is not deserved. It's it's free. Grace is not deserved; it's free, and so the the message should be that that there is there is an option now. Hell is important in that meaning that the end, like condemnation, is a real thing. Conviction is a real thing. You need repentance, but like you said, it has to be organic, and you're not going to just go in beeline and use fire to to try to get people to turn. It's mercy. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. But being kind and loving isn't also. It's not pretending like hell doesn't exist. It's just, it's the manner, it's disagreement of fact, disagreement of, of attitude. And if a lot of more Christians were speaking truth in love, then... Well, that's the big key. Well, so I've heard it said, truth without love is is abuse, and, and um, what was it, love without truth is, it, it was something to the degree of like enablement or uh, heresy. Uh, so yeah, so so love love without uh, truth is heresy, and truth without love is abuse. <laughs> There's a Bible verse that goes along with that. I think it's like something without love is dead. It's First Corinthians uh, chapter nine, I believe it talks about. Um, it, it it says that um, what was it? I have my Bible here. It's 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 one of those like love is the uh, mitigating. It's the it's the factor that regulates truth. If you don't have it, then you should be careful with the truth, quote unquote, that you hold. Um, it's, it's, now concerning things offered idols, if we we know that we all have knowledge, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. That's what it was. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. If anyone thinks he knows anything, he knows nothing as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. Yeah. Did you ever read the book, The Great Divorce? I see this mm, list. Started to, but I, I didn't get into it. 
I get distracted. I th- that's another problem with books. I, I read too many at one time, oh, and, I, and I just like yeah. I meant to ask you that earlier. Like, do you ever finish them? <laughs> I do eventually. Um, I'm almost. Done. I've been reading the Studies in Eschatology book for like three years now. <laughs> it's just I, like, you've been mentioning that to me for a while. Yeah, so yeah. I, I just pick it up randomly here and there. But I um, yeah, I do get through them. I just. I get through them slowly, and that was that, that spiritual leadership book tell, told you to read one book at a time and to read it three times. But I read three books at one time. That's crazy. And I read them three times. <laughs> That's funny. The Great Divorce is cool, and I've, I've discussed it on here. Um, we actually read it before Mike came on because we were talking about it, and I wanted to read it before so we could discuss it uh, on here. Anyway, um, just to give you a quick synapse. It was basically uh, the book opens up, and a bunch of people are waiting in line uh, for a bus, and you just hear them talking and you're following this one person and they get on the bus and the guy doesn't really know where they're going. And anyway, you come to find out that they're going to heaven and that they were in hell. Okay. So these are all like the, and, and it opens up saying like, this is not my ideology. I just, he basically wants to describe what, you know, it's like to hell, like for hell or sin. There's a lot of different things and showing that there's an aspect of, of us in like there's like five or six different characters and you could find yourself uh, relating to I one like that about or Lewis. multiple. He explores. Yes. It's very interesting. Um, so ideology or ID, or I forget that word. Anyway, he, it's definitely not like, Hey, this is what the Bible teaches. It's yeah. very much of like, there's underlining ways to discover more about ourselves. So anyway, mm-hmm. um, more like a parable than anything. Yes. So they go into heaven and the guy goes around and he meets all these different people who are in heaven and or he watches interactions of the people that went with him on the bus interacting with loved ones or friends who are now in heaven and they're like you come to find out that in the book they could stay in heaven mm-hmm. but they have to leave behind the things that they brought from hell with them and that they choose to go back to hell every time so mm-hmm. like these people that are going on the bus this is his first time but he realizes that these people are going there and it's too much, and they don't want to leave behind their guilt, their their greed, or whatever it is that they have. Um, they want they want that. They believe it's who they are, and rather than letting it go and experiencing the full, like being literally in the love of God, right? They decide to hold on to these things, and it's too much for them. And so it's fun for them to visit, but then they go back, and it's actually really sad. Hmm to watch like this loved one discuss, like have this conversation between two lovers. Right. Mm -hmm. Like there's this one guy who like felt like he owned this woman and like loved her, but really he was very abusive to her. And she's telling him about these things that he did wrong, but not like in a totally loving way of saying like, I thought I was in love with you and you may think that you are or were or still are in love with me, but like I am now in love, like surrounded by it. And what you have, what you're holding on to is, is wrong. Yeah. It's not love. And like, it's so broken. And I can like cry about thinking about it now. Cause it's, it's, it's real for a lot of us in relationships. Yeah. Like, but she's basically trying to let him or tell him like, you can let go of this and experience what I have now. But he's so hurt that she doesn't love him and claims that she never loved him because now she knows what love is. And she's like, no, I didn't. I thought I did, but I didn't. And he decides out of his just pridefulness of just like to go back to hell. Yeah. Um, it's human nature. I make you make me want to read it now, dude. It's really good. Like even just the fact like of the weight, it's hard for them to walk in there because they're just dragging things that don't belong. Mm. Um, like their feet cutting through the grass is like difficult, and they're like these ghostly beings. It it's really really good. Um, 
but I got I got a lot out of that and like looking into myself internally. But when you were talking about the different body in hell and like what it was like, it made me think of those characters just dragging through and choosing it. Some of that I got from from Lewis actually because he talks about that in Way to Glory, like I was telling you with the the resurrection, different bodies. Like there's, there's things I've cultivated and learned like throughout the years that were like we're not some cherub on a cloud for eternity. Mm-hmm. We have a really physical, real resurrection future that we're looking forward to as believers. People don't really talk about it. And then people's theology is wrong. And then they get taught this wrong way. And then it, they, they cling to that and they're hurt by it. And what do you think about the idea that all of us only could ever be at most 80% correct? Proving that none of us will ever know everything. We just read it. It's uh, n- none of us know things as we ought to know them, and so and I we I think we view we view it through a glass dimly as it talks about it in the Bible. We have no no real we don't have a full perspective on these things. We just that's why you can't like there's doctrine and you can you can hold on to it pretty tightly, but even then you 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 don't have the full picture of it so you, you, and we can all view things different like we can all read the same scripture and come out with different things it doesn't mean that everybody but one person is wrong i believe yeah. there's right and wrong aspects to all of it cuz we are not god and we don't yeah. know everything. and there's one interpretation like the, so the scripture is a, is thought like words I'm about slight differences yeah yeah but... words are thoughts right so um the the word of God is are the thoughts of God and, and with my thought conveyed to you in grammar I have an intent and and so it's it's up to us to find the intent of the thought and that's that's the interpretation of it but the application is different I think and that that's the thing that like sometimes people confuse is interpretation application so th- it says what it says but how that what that means to me and how I can use and apply that is going to be vastly different in so many different areas of our lives and. Sometimes people try to change the interpretation based off of what they want the application to be, and that's called manipulating scripture and taking it out of context. But yeah, there's there's gonna be your, your worldview is always gonna color what you what you look at. I was thinking more. I agree with you. I was thinking maybe I didn't explain. I was thinking more of like the fact that no matter what we do, like it's it's almost what drives me. Like the idea that, and this number was just thrown out there. I, I heard it. My pastor had said it that one can only be 80% correct. That's the most correct you could ever be in the 20%. Now you have a hundred percent of knowledge, but 80% is correct. And mm. 20 at most okay. and 20% is wrong. So he's like, if, if you believe in that, then you're constantly seeking out the wrong 20% and you're shifting it. You know, you, you take, you find something in that 20% that's wrong and you challenge it and you realize, Oh, that was wrong. So you add some of your 80% in there, but in doing so you're removing something else. So you're constantly hmm. shifting and learning and just being fluid with the fact that like, it's the Pareto distribution. You're, you're never allowing yourself to be so grounded in your thoughts that it stops you from finding out truth. Yeah. Because we can all, as we age, we learn more and, and there's just different things that we can all be right on, which it makes me always want to listen to everybody. Even if I disagree with them, where I, I say in my mind, like, I know this person's wrong. I try and with an open mind, sit and listen and challenge myself with what they're saying. What they're saying. Yeah. Um, and it's definitely been one of the more beneficial things I've ever done in my life. That's wisdom. Wisdom is knowing that what you know is not enough. And so Jordan Peterson talks about one of his chapters in his 12 Rules for Life is assume that the person that you're talking to knows something that you don't. 
That's one absolutely, of the, dude. And yeah. so it's a, it was one of my favorite oh, chapters. Like it's one of my favorite chapters in that book, and it's just going into it goes into genuine con- conversation. And he, yeah, I've heard a lot of Christians even quote Plato on that, talking about like um, just just true wisdom is, is just knowing that what that you what you don't know, and just like there's so much that you don't know, and then and and. To, he Jordan Peterson says that total, totalitarianism is that you know all I know is enough, and we're going to close this off, and then it turns into that like, it, no, this is this is it, and we won't let anything else in here, and then you get like the Iron Curtain because of that, and so uh, wisdom is is when I talk to when you talk to other people like you, you you're going to know things that I don't even if I disagree with most of it, and that eighty twenty principle goes everywhere that that's like. It, he calls it the Pareto distribution, like 80% of the people hold 20% of the wealth. Um, 80% of all like musical, like uh, classical music that's listened to was written by 20% of the classical music authors, and 80% of what they wrote wasn't didn't make the cut, and only 20% of what they wrote made the cut. So that's, it's, it's 20% of... 20% of the music, you know, the, the classical musical composers are what we listen to. And it's just no matter how you distribute, like the whole distrib- distribution of wealth will never work because it always goes back into this. So if you're not in the 80% in this tier, um, then go to it, find another game to play and you might be the 80% in that. Like, like, like you, that, yeah. you, you know, so, but it's, but it, as far as knowledge, it, it, it would totally make sense that like, you know, it, it, that whole, that whole 20% is, 80, is, 20, yeah. is not right. And so, the, so the question is, what are the things that I think are true that are, I believe are not right? I think accepting that though is beneficial to you yeah. as a person, and knowing if if you're confronted and you're given like hard like you know, evidence, and I've had those moments where my faith was shaken in so many ways, and then I had to investigate, and I felt stronger on the other side. Oh yeah, I appreciate always. them. Never in the moment, or rarely in the moment, do I appreciate them. But afterwards, looking back, it's always something I'm grateful for, and I want to introduce the that to come in as many times in my life as needed. The last one was the, the, the concept of Jesus being begotten. Someone called the church and I was there and um, this guy was like a this Greek. Is, this is a Muslim thing. He was a Greek this scholar. Is, I, I think I know where you're going with this. Anyway. Well, he was a Greek scholar and he just calls churches and like argues these things. And his, he was arguing with me about like, he, he brought me to um, Genesis and he's saying, look, a- Abraham, um, it was talking about like, he begot and in, in, he tried to say begotten was created and and he got me he got me really thinking about like Jesus being the only begotten of the father and what it means and so my end conclusion because I studied it really deep after that C.S. Lewis talks about it and he helped me with that too uh in his mere Christianity he um I've read that Jesus is the eternal begotten of the father which is uh, you know that that whole he uses the analogy of books stacked on one another um, and so, and the idea of begotten is like Jesus is stacked on the father. He's begotten of the father sourced from him. So like, if you took away the bottom book, the top one wouldn't be where it's at. So the, the bottom book is holding up the next one above it. And that's the idea of begotten. So the father, son, Holy spirit. And then you have, he says, imagine those books. And, and it's hard for us because we can't really picture eternity. They're stacked for all of eternity. And so it, it, Jesus is is the eternal begotten of the Father. Yes, he's from the Father. He's sourced from the Father, but he's eternally sourced from the Father. Like I think, it, and he also does his analogy like a, a, a duck begets a duck. Uh, uh, you know, you, you 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 create something other than yourself. You beget something of of your same source. But hmm. the the whole point in that is that 
Jesus, like I think of time, like I've begotten a son and he is like me and he will grow up and he will be equal to me, but he's inside of time. There was a point where he wasn't there. Jesus is forever begotten of the Father. So the begotten thing describes a relationship that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit have that is something, again, if we go too far, we were mo- we're mocked by angels and demons if we started like rationalize these things. So I just, I, I, he messed me up though. And it shook my faith a little bit. I'm like, wait a minute, was Jesus created? And so he just, he just worked these words so much where it, it twisted me up and I had to get mm-hmm. back to like what I knew was true, but I had to get a solid foundation for it. Oh, you have to. There was a verse in John, the book of John talks about Jesus being eternal. And then there's like there's these verses that like show that he's eternally begotten. And that eternal begotten is that, that's the difference right there. It's, he's not begotten like humans beget. It's it's a different thing that between him and the father than than we have. It's now, not the same. Yeah, when I said a Muslim thing, I, w- I was just trying to figure out why I thought that initially, and it's because a lot of times in the past or, or just whenever I will get sidetracked on YouTube or go into these like YouTube holes where I'm just watching people argue against my beliefs, mm-hmm. and there was a Muslim man that brought up that point and shook me a bit. And I had to really dig into it because it sometimes it's these little things that I'm like, I never thought about that. I don't, I don't know. I just, I've always read that and never thought about that word. Yeah. And it's like, but these people are looking to destroy or to expose things that are wrong. And it's like, you're going to look deeper. And it's like, it challenges me to also, in order to further believe, to also do that, to pick apart each word, to look at the different translations and understand like why they chose this word over that word. And maybe I disagree, you know, with their choice. And then I look at different, you know, to just look at the source material deeper. um, Textual criticism. That was one that shook me for a while. The validity of scriptures. Oh, dude, that one still is something I will probably continue to keep going back to. It's just because of the differences in like, cause I, now it's easy with the apps. So I have like seven different versions of the Bible. So sometimes I'll read something and I'm like, I think that could have been said differently. I wonder what other versions will say. Like mm-hmm. I'll do this on Sundays sometimes and I'll just with a click of a button, boom, now NIV, boom, like new America or new English standard mm-hmm. version, new, new King James, the message, uh, all of them. I'll just go through and see. And I'm just like, man, some of these will literally take me in different directions. Mm-hmm. Not just like different ways to say the word love. It's like, no, like one is saying in one is saying on. That was something I've seen a few times mm-hmm. We're in and on will actually completely change the the meaning of that verse. And mm. so which one did they mean? Yeah. And dude, that's sometimes that shakes me. And I'm like, I think as long as I'm questioning it and looking into it and, and focusing on it with God in mind, mm. then I will find something, I will find where he wants me to be. And I might be wrong in the end, you know, if I'm, I, I don't know. I guess I just, I don't really know, but I'll keep questioning those things. And I don't know enough historically as to, to, and I can't just go ask that person, why did you choose this word? Because I think it was intentional when they do those things yeah. to choose one word or the other. And, and yeah, and I Sometimes like, it's just language. And in the, in the original, like, so I, I, I don't claim to be that great at it, but I, I can phonetically read Greek. I can stumble my way through a Greek New Testament. You know, like, like if you knew some Spanish words and you can kind of like overhear a Spanish conversation, um, Reading the original like language really helps with that, um, but like the one thing that messed me up was like the the book of uh, Mary or Thomas, like the Gnostic Gospels. Yeah. They shook me for a while, but I just my own conclusion was they are Gnostic commentaries on something that already existed, and so they were old, but not as old as the originals, and they're just knockoffs. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's where I ended. But um, just looking at textual criticism and the difference, like 
in <laughs> translations like Homer's Iliad was one example. The, 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 they don't, I think there's like seven um, copies of that one. And nobody questions the validity of Homer's Iliad, but there's there's like hundreds of copies of the New Testament, and the the furthest from Homer's Iliad, the original to the one they had was like a thousand years or something like that, some big number. And the earliest copies we have are three hundred years after the, and there's a great number of them. And if one was messed up, then the others would fill in the gap. So there's it's not like we have only a few manuscripts. There's there's hundreds of manuscripts of the same thing that they've used to compile that, and then so that. There's, there's different um, principles to st- textual criticism that I studied that kind of helped me with that. And the one, the, my end conclusion, so I always get like, I, I have to go deep and I have to like, it's like a pyramid and I get back up and I'm like, all right, so I, I can just have a simple belief again on, on these things. The way I've looked at it and in studying the eschatology, because the, the main difference in people's eschatology is the way they interpret scripture. That post, mid, pre-trib, all that has to do with literal interpretation of scripture, the historical grammatical understanding of the word and allegorical. It says this, but it actually means that. And so if you take a literal approach to the study of scriptures, you could really only be pre-trip. Everything else has to do with allegorical interpretation. Who is Israel? Is the church Israel or is Israel Israel? Like all these things have to do with the way you interpret scripture. So the first three chapters of that whole book is how to interpret scripture, literal interpretation of scripture. And so it goes in and talks about how God uses grammar and everything, every, like if, if I literally translated Greek to you, it wouldn't make sense. Every trans, every translation is an interpretation. Like if you took Spanish and literally word for word, it would be so backwards. You have to rearrange the word just to understand it. Yeah, So every translation is an interpretation in itself, but just like I have a thought and I take my tongue and I use it to form letters and grammar and that grammar conveys my thought to you through that grammar. There might be different ways to convey the thought, but the thought stays the same. And the one thing that I've concluded is that God's thoughts are perfectly conveyed through my English translation of the Bible. So this is the, because the most scripture and all of it's laid out in thought for thought. So this thought, this grammar uses this it, it's, this thought is using this grammar to convey itself. So you have this, which people would say has contradictions and issues, and it's this, this is the English, this is the New King James Version of the translation of the, of the Greek text that, you know, so, but you have um, the, the word of the Logos is something else. The Logos is here. The word of God is here. Is it pronounced Logos? Logos. Yeah, I've always I'm called pre- it Logos. I'm pretty sure it's Logos, app, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> um and so it, it, it conveys itself through grammar. And God is more than capable of using grammar to convey his thoughts to us. And the literal interpretation is the historical, grammatical understanding of the word. So how did the people who it was written to understand it when it was written to them? And then you can take that and you can apply it to you today. But you have to first understand what they were saying and their thoughts. So... I yeah I like to go deeper, but I I have a firm belief that I can get the thought from the context and the grammar that I have in my in here. But if I want to go deeper, I can get into the original words. But it's I don't get hung up so much on individual words because those individual words build the thought. And yeah, that's, no, I understand. Saying, what's yeah, inerrant I, is is yeah. the, is the word. When we say the word of God does not have error, what we're saying is the logos does not have error. 
and there's no contradiction in it. And the original writing of the transcripts was without error. There's little things that people, like one thing that that got me for a while is what color was the robe that Jesus wore? Yeah, go through it. It's it's it was either purple or red. We don't know. Yeah, I never it, heard anything but purple. Yeah, well, it's yeah, it's scarlet or pur- like so. It's it's what, what was it? I got hung up on that for so long. I'm like, but it had to have be. It couldn't be two colors at once. What color was it? It doesn't change the thought. So there's little things that are like, is it this number? Is it that number? Is it a, is it a P or is it N uh, on or in? But it doesn't change the thought. And it's, so there's nothing in, even in our translations, if it's a good translation that changes the thought or the logos, because the logos is, is yeah, what no, it I is. Get, that's a, that's a different way to look at it. I'm going to have to keep that in mind when I'm switching through versions. I can that's get, hung, you, it's easy to get hung up on, on that. Yeah. I mean, I don't let myself get too hung up. It's just more of a curiosity because it's so easy to press a button and get a different version. Yeah. Blue letter um, Bible is my go-to. What is it? Blue letter Bible. That's what I use. To I have, I have that as a secondary, um, Mostly because of their Greek, yeah. Um, that's a, uh, that's why applications go in there. Um. Anyway, is there anything as we're wrapping up that you feel like you wanted to say and get out, or anything you feel like is is just really important that you've learned over the last couple of years? You want to share, mm. or anything specifically? Mm. No. Is there is there anything else that you wanted to? There's a lot of things I had thought about bringing up in the conversation, but they didn't organically come up. So it just means you have to come back okay. at some point. You want to play? I'm going to put you on the spot. You can say yes or no. You want to play a song for us? Is this, a good, is this your guitar? That's my guitar, yeah. I was thinking about it earlier. I was like, ah, if he says that, I don't care. Yeah, you might have to edit this part out. Depends on how it sounds. I think it's going to sound great. Oh. I've never put anybody on the spot like that before. I'll play the song that I've been doing um, for the kids on Wednesday. All right. On Wednesday night. Don't you, laugh what, at me if there's a guitar buddy on there. Well, you think I saw me it press this while I saw it at Christmas. It's not on there. I took it off last time I was here. <laughs> do you have? You don't have a capo, do you? Uh, what is that? Little thing that clips on your guitar. Yes, I do. Where is it? It's in there. Let's see. That is my one of my favorite things I've ever found in the trash. By the way, is this a trash guitar? Yeah, the case I found first with a cheap guitar, and then I kept changing out the guitar in the case. Like, I would th- I would find a better one and throw it out and replace it with that. I don't see your capo. It's 100% there. I don't know where, but... Oh, there is. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I know enough about guitar things to, like, pretend like I, I'm good. I'm not bad, but I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not like Rich Panisi, which he's taught me a lot, actually. He's... I love his voice. I try to mimic it a lot. <laughs> Is he still doing, uh, is he still leading worship? He's been doing that for a long time. Uh, yeah, I think he is. Calvary Philly now. Oh, leading really? Worship, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Rich the Elder, not Rich the Younger. But I think he's... That's le- what I was talking about. I yeah. think he's leading worship too. All right, I have to tune it though, so forgive me. No, nah, it's all good. I'll just keep uh, talking about it's, nonsense. It's not tuned. Do you, are you in the Harry Potter? Uh, yeah. Or do you, okay, because I know some people it's like... You either grew up with it, enjoyed it, or you just look at it as like... I, more and more I devil. see the blasphemy of it, and it is devil, but it's just one of those things that was like, it was my childhood. There's a video game, uh, Hogwarts Legacy, that Sony just had their like state of play. It's like when they release new things. Most of them have been pretty lame and boring. Like, I don't let my kids watch it, but every once in a while I get in a mood where I want to... They fail. Well, anyway, they released some footage of it. It's pretty cool. You get to like go back and like 
before all the movies, like a hundred years prior to the movie, and you get to be a student at Hogwarts and like learn spells and explore the castle. It seems pretty cool. I really like the the storyline and the the different depths to the characters, so I'm excited to explore that world. I gotta tune it down because. That wasn't that bad. It's just shows no, no. How I mean, like, it. it's not that out of tune, but where I like to play. Is... Oh, gotcha. So you're gonna. I learned this thing the other day. Gonna about... mess my guitar up. No, it's alright. Oh, okay. It's probably more in your your voice range anyway. It's like a worship leader go to is to tune your guitar down. Right now, my voice range is that of I'm dying because my lungs are full of spores. Will you sing with me? Absolutely not. I don't want to interrupt. I actually, you know, I had George um, uh, Brooks on the podcast, He's a wonderful singer, songwriter, buddy of mine, and we recorded way more than what I released on the episode, like hours more. Mm-hmm. It was just, it was a mess. Um, but we were just having a good time. But I didn't realize how much I was singing with my mic, and I thought it was away from me. But these mics pick up everything, and I could hear <laughs> when I when I finished it, like uh, the editing, and like listen to it in my headphones. I just kept hearing this mess of a voice come through <laughs> and try and sing on the same level. So oh, boy. <laughs> I didn't realize it was just sing along with them, but it was bad, dude. What song are you going to sing? Great I Am. I like that song. I just got to gotta find it again. I got to take my phone off airplane mode. Is that right? Go for it. Oh, you hear it right away? Isn't that crazy? Dude, I don't know what that is. So I recently found out that that's not not necessarily that it's not normal, but something that I have is allowing that to happen and that not all equipment will allow that. I'll just take a snapshot and then put it back on. Uh... Wow. That's really, so intense, really dude. That's it. like all the messages and your phone reaching out and like pulling in signal. And it I wonder how much that like. Is going through our brains? Yeah, all dude, the time. Back in the day, I don't know if you remember this, when cell phones first became a thing, I feel like everybody had Nokias, those big fat Nokias, they either flipped or they just had like the big screen, or the the big like, um, like most of the phone was just like the dial or the buttons. Anyway, they would sell at the mall or these little stands, these little like creatures, like it would be like, or little animals, it would be like a ladybug or a bumblebee, and it would have an adhesive surface, so you'd stick it to your phone, and I'm assuming it was all BS, but they would say that it would take the radiation or the signal and it would soak it up from your phone to not go into your brain or into your like into your hip from your pocket. You know that guy, the liver king? Well, it was, they would say that because it would eventually crack, it would split. And they would tell you that it would absorb so much and then it would split. And that's when you have to buy another one. And I think it was total crap, but it's it's total crap that I've still bought into. It's the snake oil that I believe. Yeah. Even though I know it's fake. But I don't know if it actually ever sucked it up or not, but it always freaked me out to think, like, what are we consuming in our bodies? <laughs> oh, here, I'm going to give you my mic. Ooh. This is all right, guitar. Is it all right, guitar? It's, it's my trash bag. I got to tune in a little bit more. I think it went out of tune. Oi. We'll get there. <clears throat> there we go. 
gotta, gotta ease into it. Thank you. So my, my voice is like you you could hear it it's like out and then it's in it's out and in and that's what my wife is good for because she's singing next to me and so there's moments where it's like it's not there she's she leads and i kind of just like <laughs> so i don't know maybe i mean obviously you're not like this singer you know what i mean like yeah but there's something and i don't mean that insulting i'm trying to i'm not i know i'm not a singer there's a something heart. about worship and maybe if you're listening and you're not into it, and it's you won't see this, but if if you know what I'm talking about, then you know. If you know, you know. There's something about worship to where, like, listening to you just now, it wasn't about the way you were saying it. It's really about the words. And, yeah. like, there's a connection with those words and my heart, and it transcends, like, everything else. Mm. And I just, I'm, I'm sold. Like, and when I hear worship, dude, especially, like, with other people, we're sharing a moment like that with somebody. Dude, there's nothing like it's that. It's genuine. And here's yeah. here's the point of it. it. And I, I want I want like if anybody's, I came listen, out right. <laughs> anybody's listening to to get this. 
if you don't have a gift and you want it, you can ask for it. And so I, I didn't like, I know I, I don't have like the natural, like I'm a singer, but my heart's desire for a long time was I want to, I want to lead people to worship the Lord. Hmm. And I prayed for it and he gave me that gift. You know, another gift that I prayed for that I got, and you might think me strange and I say it, the gift of tongues. Do you know I have that? And I don't, I don't say it in a prideful way. I prayed for that and God gave it to me. And it, what it is for me is a, um, when I can't voice a prayer, there's a sound that comes out of me that I know my prayer is perfectly communicated and received by the Lord. It doesn't happen all the time, but, and I can't just call on it whenever I want, just like gifts of healing and stuff like mm. that. But the point is that if you read the, like something or you see something in scripture and you want that, you can ask for it and the Lord will give it to you. And like that, this is, but sometimes you got to practice too, because gifts need to be cultivated and I'm getting there. Like my voice is so much better than like months ago, but I leave, I, I do worship every Friday. And so it's like some people just have that gift and they can mm. just sing and run off with it. And other people got to kind of work on it a little bit. That doesn't mean it's not a gift. Yeah. My heart, my heart's desire is hopefully when I sing, it, it comes out and people like, Oh yeah, like he's really worshiping. I can't help but not close my eyes when I. Sometimes it messes me up because I close my eyes and I'm playing, <laughs> yeah. and then I miss a chord. I'm like, dang it, I gotta like focus here. Yeah. Now, I think that was conveyed at least for me. I don't know about everybody listening. You know, it depends on where your heart's at. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I, I felt like that conveyed completely, dude. If you want I really, to, ask I really it. appreciate it. Yeah, I'm, it was, <laughs> was a like, lot. To I was ask. nervous. I was shaking a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> no, it was great, dude. Uh, anyway, if you're still listening, thank you so much. Um, if you uh, do enjoy this podcast and you 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 know want to help us grow the best thing you could do for us is to go wherever you're listening spotify google apple podcast whatever you're whatever you're listening to and uh, if you feel like we deserve it please rate us five stars leave a review um the more reviews we get the more exposure we get and the more guests we can we can have on and and just grow to a place that hopefully is beyond what what i can even imagine here so anyway i appreciate uh, those of you that have already done that And until next time, see ya. Thank you. And I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder. One of the four beasts saying, come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse. There's a man going round taking names and he decides who to free and who to blame everybody won't be treated all the same there'll be a golden ladder reaching down when the man comes around the hairs on your arm will stand up at the terror in each sip and in each sup. Will you partake of that last offered cup or disappear into the potter's ground when the man comes around? Hear the trumpets, hear the pipers, 100 million angels singing. Multitudes are marching to the big kettle drum Voices calling, voices crying 
some are born and some are dying. It's Alpha and Omega's kingdom come. And the whirlwind is in the thorn tree. The virgins are all trimming their wicks. The whirlwind is in the thorn tree. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Till Armageddon, no shalom, no shalom. Then the father hen will call his chickens home. The wise.